we're back. Uh, we are back. Welcome to the JCAS presents Cons- Nick and Nick Nat's Nat. Consume and, and Obey. obey. Uh, we're in the Clubhouse Treehouse. Uh, my name's Nick and this is Nathaniel Metcalf. And yes. this is the show where we uh, consume, uh, where, where Nathaniel Metcalf and myself yeah. aim to consume every single movie that has ever been made uh, on, on, in a random order, uh, yeah. one week at a time. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's the problem with it is every time I think I'm catching up, they keep making more. They keep releasing more films. Yeah, they keep releasing more films. So every time, that's the, that's the exact problem. So what we've done is we've teamed up, and you're going to watch your movies, and I'll watch my movies, and each week we'll compare notes. We will, and, and sometimes we watch the same movies, which isn't helpful. Which is great because then we've got something to talk about, right. like, other than just like blindly recommending it to each other. Um, and then uh, and then we'll say, you know, if you're going to watch one film this week, watch this film, and then um, as I that's the consume part of it and then obey is uh, it's sort of a new section yeah but it's sort of like always been waiting yeah. in the wings just yeah. like waiting for us to really this is meant to be the concise way of explaining it and it's just coming across as like gentle chat yeah well that's it isn't it people like a chat people do like a chat especially on a podcast people say your podcast is very long uh and it's just like yeah you, you put it on while you're painting some walls yeah i like a long podcast I who love says a long podcast. who says you've got to do it all in one go as i well? can't stand it when you, they fit it all in in under 15 minutes Me and too. it's just like you know uh, anyway, this is an update special. It is. Welcome to Consumer Debate. It's yes. the it's, it's the fortnightly podcast where me and my friend Nathaniel Metcalf uh, aim to consume every single movie that's ever been made. And then, to make our job of choosing things a little bit easier, we mm-hmm. ask you, our listeners, to recommend a movie that either... And if neither of us have seen it, we'll, we'll watch it and mm. talk about it the next week. It, if it's really good, we'll do a deep dive on it. But if it's, if it's not, like... I mean, this week, there's not a lot to talk about. Probably not a lot to talk about, but I think it's an interesting film. Oh, I'm not fucking slagging it off yet, no. mate. That's for the second half of the show. <laughs> but um, So but the consume bit is we're consuming films. That's, are you checking with me or are you telling the audience? I'm telling the audience. Yeah, all right, okay. I feel like I've done that. But we haven't said what Obey is yet. Yeah, I've just done it. No, I don't, you've done it clearly enough. That's what, Okay, so it's called Consume and Obey. Yeah. Consume is... Oh, by the way, if you want to write into us, make sure you write to us on our email address. That's Nick, Nick and, and Nat. J-C-A-S at... At symbol. Gmail.com. G-M-A-I-L, not M-A-L-A. So that's N-I-C-K... A N D N A T N A T J C A S at symbol the one that looks like an ear G M A I L dot C O M not N I C K A N D N A T J C A S at symbol G O O G L E M A I L See, it's too early to annoy them, right? We've had a bit of a break, and it's no. too early. I think the people that are coming back might have missed this. I and think the people, missed it. The people that are new will hate it. <laughs> anyway, this is an update special. We're not, we're not back yet. We're, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna start up again in the autumn. But basically, I just wanted, uh, we just wanted to let you, uh, let, let you all know what was happening with the podcast, and um, and the podcast is uh, coming back. Well, it never went away, really, deliberately. Uh, but we'll call it season two. And when season two comes out. Uh, you, um, you'll know about it. Oh, you'll know about it. You'll know it, right. about it because I am going to Instagram it. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. 
I'll Instagram and as I well. imagine what less you'll people do a, know about you'll it. Do a screen grab and then you you or maybe you use that little paper airplane. Yes, symbol, yes, yes, and then yes, you'll yes, yes, yes. Instagram it on your. And I'll own. say my own little thing about it. Yeah, right. I'll if you're not links. following both of us, then you're following none of us. Yeah, I mean, if you want to know what's happening on the World Wide Web, you've got to be following. Both of us. Shout out to everyone in Malta. Yeah. Uh, not, Shout out everyone on the World Wide Web. I'm not sure if everyone in Malta has come over from... Uh, I'm not. I'm going to stop talking about the old one. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, the, uh, on the Information Superhighway. On the Information Superweb. Yeah. M- my name's Superweb. <laughs> <laughs> this new character I've been working on. I haven't got a voice for him yet, which mm. is fatal for a podcast. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, we, so we have... We've, we've been away. Do you know what? We've been away, but we haven't stopped watching films we haven't stopped watching well i have i've barely watched i've barely watched i don't think i've seen three films this month um what and we're like 20 days 23 days in uh not that that will matter when we release it fucking hell right so this is our summer special this is an update catch up special we're going to tell you uh what we're going to do what are what are what are what you call it what are um what our strategy is. It's not called that. What, yeah. is, what is our... We're consuming films, no, all but the films. What's, but what do you call it? What are... Aims? What are modus operandi? Yeah, what are, our, not aims. Oh, uh, what are, like a... What are... Oh, like a like what the... Uh, uh, po- po- uh, um, like a I know you manifesto. Like, this is our manifesto. Yes, yeah, all woman festo, yes. man womanifesto. Yeah. Um, yes, this is our manifesto. Yeah. This is I am. This is a personal promise to you that for this podcast that no one pays for, except yeah. for oh, I need to look up who paid for it. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, but someone is, paid for we'll it. We'll give them a big thanks. Thank you, Um we're working on another podcast that'll come out every other week yes and then every other week in between that this will come out yeah so you'll get (laughs) you'll get a a week that's almost too much to promise isn't it yeah it's also a lot of us isn't it yeah but i think that's how it works you just cram it in people's ears until they can't take anymore and then (laughs) then they just like find someone else i mean the world does not need a new movie podcast probably but this Got is more. One. This is more than that, isn't it? Yeah. This is about <clears throat> friendship. It is, and I think it's better than the other ones. It's better than all the other do ones. You know what? I do. I do. I think it's better. I've listened to some actual like um, people that may have made films. Do I do their own podcast? Yeah. No good. Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't often like the vibe of film podcasts. Oh, I think that, well, I think that film podcasts are very kind of like, do you know what I think? Part of the problem I think about film criticism now mm-hmm. is uh, you either have to love something or you have to hate something. Yeah. Some of the films that we're going to talk about today um, that we've seen. So we'll, we'll talk about some of the some of the big films that we've missed out on uh, over the last few months. Uh, and then we'll, we haven't got any fan mail, appreciation mail. Um it's been such a long time. I'm sure there was some, but it's been lost to the sands of time. Uh, but if you want to write in that hate note... <laughs> Do you know what? Also, there might be some that appeared on fan mail and some lost episodes. And if you've wanted something desperate but you haven't heard a reply, you want to know something, you can always send it through. We've got again. an email address. Just send everything on Instagram. Fucking mm. hell. 
we're only human and uh send it all on instagram it'll be all in the same place and then just recommend a movie that you think uh, either i haven't seen we've seen everything but uh, uh, and the point of this show isn't that we watch shit stuff Right? Yeah, we may watch shit stuff by know, accident, uh, but um, but the aim is to the aim is to watch everything. But the aim is to find. I think my goal in life is to find uh, the best film ever that I've ever seen that um, you've never seen that I've never seen. Exactly. I think if you're going to recommend a film, which we'd love you to do, and certainly we've got a bit of a crowd. That's literally from, the point of the second yeah, yeah. Instagram and Twitter this week. We've got some you know, some good suggestions. I think. If you're listening to this, but you're not on that format, certainly send us some films that you think that we'd like, is what I would say, rather than just any old rubbish. Not not so much. Or that we haven't seen. Yeah, something, and also it's got to be something, yeah, something we haven't seen and something that you think we might get a kick out of. And I would watch all the Fast and the Furious movies. I mm-hmm. would at some point. Yeah, I think that but, might be on the, but, on the docket. But I'm just not, um, but I'm not that. If I wanted to see him, I would have seen him by now. Yeah. Um, what I'm really looking for is uh, a Jules A. Jim. It's that kind of podcast, guys. Or Police Academy 7. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I'll watch anything if I like it. I only saw Jules A. Jim. Have you seen Jules A. Jim? Have I seen Jules A. Jim? Why would I mention it if I haven't seen Jules A. Jim? Well, should we talk about Jules A. Jim? Yeah, tell everyone what Jules A. Jim's about, Matt. It's about, tell, the, tell the listeners at home what it's about. I can't believe you've asked there's me. There's two fellas. Yeah. Two fellas who are both in love with the same girl. Yeah, is that Jules and Jim? Jules and Jim. Cool, yeah. Yeah, I knew that. Uh, yeah, I was... I, but I saw it for the first time. I'd never seen it. I saw it about, God, about um, a year and a half ago. My joke, was, my joke there was that I haven't seen it. I was saying that I'd seen it, but, yeah. I, but I have seen it. I saw it at university. Right. I saw it 25 years ago. It wasn't 25 years ago. Well, I didn't. I didn't get twenty-three years ago. You didn't like it. Really is it Francois Truffaut? Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's one of them, isn't it? I like that as well, and I also like it when let's you watch not, something that you're supposed to like, and you go, "Let's didn't not get anything." Let's out not do this. Let's not do this. Let's not start with Jules Ajim. Yeah, that's literally people tuning in and going, "Fuck this." What about Jules We've Ajim? literally just slagged off other movie fucking podcasts. <laughs> Don't listen to other movie podcasts. We're the, we're the one. The original. Let's talk about Jules A. Jim, yeah? Fucking Barbie's out today. Fucking, <laughs> let's talk about Jules A. Jim. Um, no, right, let's talk... Uh, right. All right, let's go through some so, things. So, 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 but I think the problem with film criticism now is that it's like you either got to love it or you got to hate it. Yeah. And um, and I think I think I don't, uh, no one's brains work like that, but you're sort of encouraged to pick a camp. Mm-hmm. Like you are with absolutely everything in the world, you've got to be on one side or the other mm-hmm. side, and I just don't subscribe to that. Um, by the way... Uh, Please subscribe to the podcast, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and, and please just tell us that you love it. Now, uh, now, um, I think that there's sort of like uh, one of the films that we saw. Well, let's just start. Um, uh, what, what? So of the of the. So this is we're now in currently in July 2023, and much just about all I would say all the big sort of summer blockbusters have been released and the ones that are still to come would you say oh we've still got to come the meg 2 are these even big films is it hard to say what's a big film now i loved i loved the meg so uh, i loved the, the idea of the meg so much Me and when too. the meg came out i was really disappointed with it i think that they're aiming to fix i think jason statham was uh, disappointed with the meg mm-hmm. i'm a big shark fan mm-hmm. and i'm a big big shark fan 
Yes. But um, what I, what, it was funny because I've read the book, The Meg, and the book, The Meg, starts exactly like the teaser trailer for The Meg with uh, a T-Rex on the beach getting eaten by a Meg. And so when I saw it, I was just like, I know what this is. Right. When I saw, you know, it's like there's an insect that gets eaten by another thing, and then another thing eats that, and then another thing eats that, and then uh, there's a T Rex, and he eats that, and he's standing on the beach roaring, and then a Meg jumps out and eats the T Rex, and then Qui Gon Jinn comes along and says, "There's (laughs) always a bigger fish." Um, He doesn't. Uh, uh, (laughs) Um, So, so I was, I know what that is. I was really disappointed with the original Meg, but I think they may have tried to fix it with this one. I mean, it's like, it's like, what was unforgivable about the Meg was the teaser trailer was so much fun. Oh, the trailer was so much fun. And then the actual final film was boring. Yeah. I mean, then the the original Meg film, which, which has, it's played a trick on me twice, is that I think I've seen it twice as well. And both times, like I saw it and I came out a bit disappointed. And then my brain basically rewrote it into like, it was all right. It was great, wasn't it? Yeah. And I watched it again. And then when I was watching it, I remembered. I went, wait, this is what happened last time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I rewrote it into a film I absolutely loved. But having said that, I'm still like, yeah, I'm, I'm up for Meg 2. I'm still up for... Uh, I'm up for Meg 2. I'm but, up for like, but like, I won't be up for Meg 3 if Meg 2 no. is like... But, um, but that's what was happened with Phantom Menace. Was a sort of Phantom Menace, and I was like, "Oh no, I feel a bit weird about that." I'm not sure if I, I didn't like that. And then, and then by the time it came out on VHS, I bought it, and I was just like, "Ah, oh, of course, it's, I love it. It's Star Wars." And then I watched it again. It's like, no, and I never, you know, it, that's what. Um, that's also how I feel about the Fletch movies. Oh yeah, I'm always just like, "Well, I, I'll give it another go because surely it's surely it, surely I was just in the wrong." Frame of mo- and then every time I watch a Fletch movie, I'm like, "Fuck this!" Did shit. you see the John Hamm Fletch movie? No, fuck. No. I mean, I thought by the time they were, they've been talking about making another Fletch movie <laughs> yeah, for since the twenty 90s. years, yeah. thirty years. Like Jason <laughs> Lee was going to do it at one yeah. point. Like, every time they mentioned someone, you go, "Oh yeah, yeah." I mean, and and then it was good, like yeah. on Amazon Prime, and I was like, "Oh fuck this! I'm not watching this." It's all right. It feels like a um, feels like it's not an amazing film. But it feels like a great pilot for a TV show. Which is probably what it... Was it? Do yeah, I don't know that it was, but it should be. That's basically what it's like. It plays like a pilot. It's like a backdoor pilot. It's just like, we'll make this film, and if, it, if it's successful, we can make a series out of it. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, don't know. I, I, I just remember Fletch Lives, because uh, Chevy Chase was obviously in Three Amigos. When Fletch Lives came out, it was the guy at Three Amigos on the front doing the uh, Gone with the Wind uh, poster. And I, I was like, that looks funny. And then the trailer for it was on before, like, the man with... It wouldn't have been Man with Two Brains, but it was on before whatever video you were renting out. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, maybe, or something like that. And it would be, like, the Fletch thing. And it was um, him doing kind of... Uh, uh, I think he was seeing a zippity doodah with like animated birds landing on him and stuff. And you go, that looks incredible. And then you watch Fletch Lives and it's like, well, that's not very good. And then you watch Fletch and it's like, it's got Tim Matheson in it. We all love Tim Matheson from Animal House. And then and then it's like, the, I don't know. Not, not fan. But it's like one of them films that I always try and, or Caddyshack. I always think, oh, I love this. And then whenever I watch, in fact, I really only like um, Three Amigos and Christmas Vacation when it comes to Chevy Chase. But I really like him in those, and in everyone, every other film that is made, I've got no idea what he's doing. 
It's like, how am I meant to feel about you? Do you not even like the other two vacation movies of... of well, there's more than there's, that now, isn't there? There's, uh, Five. Well, there's Vegas Vacation as Vegas well. Vegas as well. Uh, I like, I like uh, the first one. Mm-hmm. I like European Vacation. Mm-hmm. Um, I like... Uh, yeah, but like, but Christmas Vacation is... Oh, yeah, it's, it's another level. It's like, this is a, you can watch this film every year. Yeah. Whereas the other ones are kind of... I, it depends if you like which one, which, which of the kids you like. There's, um, where well, they get older, Rusty, older and younger, Rusty they age in, at different rates. Yeah, Rusty in European Vacation, um, I don't like as much as Anthony Michael Hall in the original Vacation. Mm-hmm. And then you got, uh, Jonathan Galecki in, uh, Christmas. In Christmas Vacation with Juliet Lewis. Juliet Lewis. And their ages swap, right? Yeah. And then, uh, and then you've got like, um, I can't remember who the, uh, who the kids are in Vegas Vacation, but Vegas Vacation felt like it was, it felt like it was paid for by the Vegas tourist board. It didn't feel like it was actually a comedy. Yeah. It's really weird. It felt like a t- sort of a really low-budget TV movie or like a promotional film that was like, hey, if you come to Vegas, you can... It was like it was like one of them educational films that you get at Disneyland like, uh, presented by Martin Short. I almost feel that's what it was. It feels like that, there's something up with it. It was kind of like... It was really weird. And then there was uh, Christmas Vacation 2... Which was uh, Randy Quaid on an island. Cousin Eddie's. Oh, I did hear about this. Actually, Cousin I've never Eddie's seen tree. it. Um, yeah, that's terrible. Um, but I mean, that was that was destined to be terrible. Anyway, don't recommend them. Um, so, so what were we talking about? So, like, so so there are summer blockbusters to come out. The Meg Two hasn't come out. Barbie Haunted and Mansion. Barbie and Oppenheimer have come out um, this weekend. Neither is a team. Uh, we haven't seen either of them, and we're not going to do like a. Like, I'm looking forward to the both of them. Hmm. Um, weirdly, the one that I think is the risk is Oppenheimer because I hated Tenet. Um, I quite like Tenet, but I think I saw it in IMAX at that point where um, there was no, you hadn't been able to see a film for. Yeah. So I saw it at the IMAX and I remember that, that big sort of uh, set piece with the plane actually smashing into an airport mm. and going, oh, my God, it's a plane. Yeah. I, <laughs> I loved all that. I didn't. I didn't. Not that I didn't like that bit, but I was just like, I don't understand what's going Give me an entry point, Christopher. Let me enjoy the film, too. Yeah. I just didn't. Lots of lots like, of silly bits in that. Yeah, I just did. I, I, I just didn't. I couldn't, I couldn't access it at any point. Um, I was just like, I, I don't get it. But anyway. It's so, a weird thing. I saw a woman, looked a bit like me, diving off the side of a, I don't know what that was about. And he goes, sure, got it. Got it. A lot of that, isn't there? Yeah, I don't remember any. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I quite like the bit when um, with the boat at the end when she, you know, uses the sun cream. Mm. Oh yeah, that was like cool. But like, that's an image that stuck with me. But the film was like, I'm not. I don't even know if it was good or bad. It was inaccessible to me. But then again, having said that, Greta Gerwig's Little Women was kind of a film. I felt a little bit like, oh, I didn't like this as much mm. as I was meant to. Mm. Um, I'm much more open to these things now, though. I just think all these films are just films you respond to or don't respond to. Right? It's like, it's like, but it's like you d- it, none of these films have to be. Um, I suppose if you're going to see one film a month and you don't like the film that you're, or if you're going to see two films a year mm. and you didn't like them, fine. But if you're going to go and see everything, then the, you, there's going to be it's it, we're treasure hunters, sure. And it's like say you know, there's lots of people who will go who will think. Well, he can't say he didn't like Jules Agim, but I just didn't respond to it at all. 
Sure. Didn't respond to it. Whereas I think Jules Eugene is a masterpiece. Is a forgotten masterpiece. <laughs> and by that I mean... Thanks for bringing it back to I, people's attention. I don't, I don't remember seeing it, but I know I have. I liked it. It's about two guys that go to war and they fight over the same girl, right? Uh, yeah, they both go... No, one of them. Does one of them go away, I think? I don't know. Yeah, like you saw that. it a year and a half ago. Yeah, I, I saw it 23 years ago. Yes, didn't respond to it. I've just remembered respond almost the exact same amount of it. In order, these are the films that... There are there are blockbusters to come. These, I, these are the these films... These are just the blockbusters? Um, well, um, i tell you what. I've got five films asterisked. Okay. And I, and we won't go deep into them, but we'll just no. do sort of like general, general thoughts. Um, and then... Uh, should I go through my list? Yeah, go through your list because I think then we'll just do we'll do those if I have seen them as well. In order of watching them, uh, the first one we wa- I watched was uh, Bo is Afraid. Oh yeah, good one. Bo is Afraid. Um, that is uh, who directed that? Uh, Ari Aster. Ari Aster, who directed uh, Hereditary, uh, Hereditary, and um, uh, Midsummer. Yeah, I'm not seeing Midsummer. Um, everyone said it was exactly like The Wicker Man. And to be honest, with uh, Hereditary, um, people lost their shit for Hereditary. I'm not going to... Like, I thought, as a film, they made it really great, and I did not see the twist coming. You're I have very seen noisy, aren't you? You, you, you it's like you're going out of your way to hit the microphone. Um, <laughs> you've not seen Hereditary? No. There's a really... Like, all the marketing was setting you up for a film that didn't happen. Okay. Which I thought was a good thing. I don't know an awful lot about it. It's witches or something, I think. Is- there is, there is a, there's a point where a Ouija board comes out and I'm like, I'm out. I don't find any of this remotely convincing or interesting. I'm not really into that sort of thing. It's just basically, for me, it's a plot device that never works. I've never find that exciting. Same with uh, hypnotising people. Uh, in, so I've just watched uh, some of the Insidious films and they uh, are... Is hip- that Ouija boards as well? No, it's they hypnotise people into, into, into remembering stuff and I'm like, I don't give a fuck about any of right. that. So there's kind of like certain things. Hereditary I thought was basically like a mixtape of all of uh, the best bits from Possession slash Satanic movies. That was kind of the vibe I got of it when it came out and I thought, I because everyone was, I remember it was one of the first things people were going, this is elevated horror. This is very much elevated. And I was going, I get it. It feels like it's someone who's seen the movies that are horror films that you're allowed to like, like it's a bit, looks a bit Rosemary's Baby. It's a little bit, all these other It was films. Evil Dead. It was Rosemary's Baby. It was Exorcist. Uh, it was, yeah, it was just a bunch of, it was a bunch of stuff. And, it, and I'm not saying that that's bad, but it felt like it was kind of like, for me, yeah, for me, it was it, like people coming out saying that's so scary. And I was like, but all the way through the film, I was like going, well, that's like the bit in Evil Dead when she, you know, and I was, um, it's not like I just it just didn't do uh, it didn't do what it did it didn't do for me what it did for a lot of other people. Yeah, and I think a lot of people maybe don't necessarily have those uh, uh, touchstones that they can kind of put on and say, oh, well, that's what that is, and that's what that is. Um, I saw I didn't see it, uh, but everything about it makes me think makes me want to see it and it's sort of mad that i haven't seen it and i think maybe i haven't seen it for a lot of it because david trent kept getting annoyed that i hadn't seen it what i read it Trent. yeah so he kept trying to talk to me about it right. i kept saying i hadn't seen it right. and then i think i sort of dug my heels in a bit and i thought it'd be funnier if i just 
kept saying I haven't seen it. Sure. What did, what, did, what about Midsummer? Because I didn't see Midsummer. Uh, Midsummer, I think, is better. David Trent's one of the people who just, I think he said it was like a hipster wicker man. Well, because it, you're, you're like, folk horror is your genre. I like all that stuff a lot. And I, but I think this really works. I think there's a bit more to it than that. Um, but which is not to say that, you know. And uh, I like Florence Pugh. I think she's fantastic. Yeah. I think that's it. I think actually what he is, I think certainly Bowie's Afraid, as we'll go on to, has really made me go, I think he is just good. I think he is picking and choosing from these films. I think the problem with The Wicker Man is it doesn't necessarily have the same audience in the States as it does over here, or has the same kind of pedigree. And so it does feel like when you're taking bits from another film... There is that element of is it famous enough that everyone understands that? Yeah, but then it's also this is why you've got these ideas from. It's also what Quentin Tarantino does, and he yeah, like exactly. borrows from stuff like quite blatantly, mm. but he's borrowing from some real obscure stuff, yeah. and most people think that he's making it all up. Sure. So I think I don't I don't think there's kind of like um, I don't think there's I don't think there's like a problem uh, with that um, uh, with 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 making films like that. Um, but I would say that Hereditary was kind of like, yeah, great. And then I never got around to Midsummer. What I would say about Bo is Afraid is um, I went into it not knowing that it was three hours long. Oh, okay. So I didn't know, I didn't know, mm-hmm. and I didn't really know what it was. The poster and the marketing and the uh, trailers and whatever it was didn't really tell you what it was. Um, and I saw maybe a couple of, maybe I saw Mark Mode's review, uh, and then maybe there was a clip in that. I, I didn't really have a grasp of what it was, right? Um, I, so I went into it knowing nothing, really, um, other than I wanted to see it. I thought it looked interesting. Um, oh, there was one shot of it that I thought looked like something uh, that might be kind of good for research. And I was like, oh, I'm excited about this. Um, anyway, uh, I saw it. And, uh, yeah, it's a very... Uh, it's a, this is one of those films where um, it's it's not like... It's not an easy film to sort of, like, recommend, I think. Yeah. Because I think the it's a film of three parts. Mm-hmm. The first hour, yeah. I think, might be the best hour of anything I've ever seen. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant, the first hour. Maybe not the best hour of anything I've ever seen, but an hour that is equally as good as anything I've ever seen. It is, uh, it feels like a real sort of vision of like, like this almost like, if this is the, it feels like the best thing he's done and it feels like, it feels weirdly personal. Like you go, this is what you should be doing. It feels totally like, like the others are kind of like, yeah, he likes these films and he likes these films and he's sort of made a new film that's based on his love of these films. Great. But this feels like uh, the only thing that I can compare it to uh, is something like mother mm-hmm. or um, the yeah. other thing that I would uh, uh, compare it to is uh, Holy Mountain by or Alejandro Hodorowsky. Yeah, him. <laughs> right? Uh, Holy Mountain, that's like another David Trent yeah. recommendation. Like, uh, Mother and uh, Holy Mountain are like panic attacks, like fever yes. dreams, fevered panic attacks that you're watching on film. The first hour of Bo is Afraid is absolutely incredible, just breathless, just funny. It's, it's a guy that's having a panic attack 
and uh, for an hour and um, and coming from someone that gets like huge amounts of anxiety and panic attacks, you know, you're watching it and you're going like, um, I didn't find it stressful. I found it hilarious because I'm like, I'm like that. Cathartic. I, yeah, I found it like somebody gets me because that's that. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's like you know when you're when you're late for something and then you knock over a glass of uh, juice all over all of your papers and yeah. it's like well that has to be cleared up now but i don't have time to it's like when you're in when, when you it's like where everything was a worst case scenario yeah and i really like liked how extreme it was there's a bit where he oversleeps but what he oversleeps by about like he sleeps for about 24 hours <laughs> It's just like he goes up and he goes to bed one night and he gets up it's like 9.30 the following night or something. And it's so mad how much he's overslept that it makes it even more like, oh, God. It's, nah, oh. Yeah. And there's a, I mean, there's, there'll be, there, uh, not like huge spoilers, but there's, mm. but what I really loved is that they introduce, um, there's like a, there's like a poisonous spider. spider. They introduce the idea of that uh, and you see it once and then you don't see it again. And then, um, and then it's like, they, you, they, there's like a, a poster saying there's a poisonous spider and he's standing. So it's like, it's got this presence all the way through the film, yeah. even though it's not like a plot point. It's not, you know, um, it's not, it doesn't, do you know what I mean? It's just like, you're just always the whole way through thinking, well, where's that spider? Yeah. That's like, it was incredible. So that first hour is brilliant. Second hour for me was very good, yeah, but n- not because it's a different tone and it's a different, it's completely ch- different. A change it's, of it's, pace. So, it's so purposefully done as well. Like it's definitely in three acts almost. Isn't yeah, it? like it's in- and, and that middle change of pace is like it's really good. And maybe if this was what the whole film was, I would be like yeah. still on board. And I was still on board, but it was definitely because I was so excited and I enjoyed that first hour so much. The second hour was like, this is, uh, I don't quite like it as much as the first hour. Same. And then the third hour was like, um, I didn't hate it, but um, it sort of wore out its welcome a bit for me. And then I was thinking, well, this could end at any point. Mm. And then it got to the end of another scene and you go, well, now it's over. And you're like, no, no, it's still going. And then you get to the end of that scene you think, well, now it's over. You go, no, no, no. But not in a good way that was like, um, oh, I'm enjoying where this is going. Uh, it was like, yeah, it's kind of like, I'd not like, I didn't hate it, but I was just sort of like, I'm, I'm kind of like, um, if this ended now, I'd be happy. Yeah. And then it didn't. It, it went on for another 45 minutes. Um, so that's what I was... But because of how good that first hour is, I, I would absolutely recommend it. It's, it's almost a shame they do it in that order. I'm exactly the same. I thought the first hour is tremendous. Have to recommend it. It's incredible. Mm. But that first hour is like the best thing I've ever seen. And then the last hour was kind of like inconsequential to me. Yeah. And the middle hour was like, it's very good. But... But you can't say I hated it. And also, I think that that first hour, as much as I loved it, is an acquired taste. You Mm. don't, not everyone will like it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But for the people that would like, I just thought absolutely five stars, three and a half stars. (laughs) <laughs> two stars and then at the end of it you get like you, you're going like well, would i recommend it i would absolutely recommend it and i wouldn't even say switch off after the first hour i would recommend the whole i think it's brilliant not that i would ever say switch off after the first hour for anything but like i would absolutely recommend it but you just know going in that it's kind of like it is a bit of a mixed bag as it goes on uh yeah no i think it's terrific and it feels like that it feels like it's a real vision of someone you know who is a director doing their own spin on exactly what what they do. Yeah. 
we'll see other we'll see other films going forward for sure uh, before I saw Bo is Afraid, sorry, I missed out on this. Mm-hmm. Um, Evil Dead Rise. Oh, yeah. I was disappointed in Evil Dead Rise. Uh, in fact, I don't know if I liked it that much. I liked bits of it. I didn't really like it as a film. Um, uh, Evil Army of Darkness is my favourite film of all time. Mm-hmm. I've seen it maybe a thousand times. I haven't seen it a thousand times, but I've seen it a lot. Specifically the UK direct, uh, the UK theatrical release. Uh, not the director's cut and not the US theatrical <laughs> release, but the UK theatrical release. Not the Australian television version, the UK theatrical release. I think it's a brilliant, I think it's one of the best comedies ever made. I think Bruce Campbell is the best leading man that, uh, that ever lived. Uh, it's, it hit me at right just the right age and it was a formative film. I went back, I watched Evil Dead 2. Loved it. One of my uh, favourite horror films, right? Uh, Evil Dead, I love uh, I love that you can see the joints in that film. I love that film. It's an iconic film. Uh, Evil Dead 2 is probably technically the best out of the three, but, um, but Army of Darkness is my favourite. Uh, and I watched them in reverse order. I started with Army of Darkness when I was about 12, built up the courage to watch Evil Dead 2 when I was about 15, and then a year later I finally watched uh, Evil Dead. Evil Dead is like a straight horror film that was made by 20-year-olds in the woods, and uh, it's so charming. It was like banned. It was a video nasty, and, it had, and when you watch it, it's so charming. You can see like um, all like uh, the, the, like how they made all the special effects, and it's uh, it's like it, it's wholesome in a way. Mm. That a bunch of kids took some cameras into the woods, and they made a film that got banned. Um, yeah, it was brilliant. It was like it went. To, they got taken to court because it was the most it's disgusting film ever made. And ambitious. Yeah. That's what I like about it. Yeah, and also it's, it's very. Amb- it's almost like if they'd thought about it, they wouldn't have. You know, if they, if they were trying to make like, like you know, Quentin Tarantino's like, I want to make a movie. Uh, I can't get any of these films made, so I'm going to make this movie that's a crime movie. It's virtually all in one location. It's, you know, and it feels like that's how you do it. You do yeah. this thing where you kind of work out what your limitations are and you work those limitations. And I think Sam Raimi was something like, he was like 18 maybe mm. when they made it and Bruce Campbell was maybe 19 or 20 and I don't know how old Rob Tappert was, but they were all about the same age. And um, and it's stuff like with, with, with you've got the iconic um, Evil Dead mm. uh, vision where it's chasing them through the woods and they just got their camera and they taped it onto the middle of a plank of wood and they got a kid at each end to run it through the woods and it sort of made it into a steady cam mm-hmm. and it's just stuff like that where it's like it's ingenious yeah. evil dead and then there was the ash versus evil dead tv series which um uh, i've got like personal um trauma with um <laughs> and then uh, there was the uh, evil dead remake which i like the remake but at the end of the day i, I kind of like um the iconography of Evil Dead is uh, there's a book, uh, there's deadites, there's a cabin in the woods, there's a chainsaw. I like all that iconography a, a, a bit, but really the whole selling point is the fact that it's Bruce Campbell and he's the greatest ever leading man. No, I think that is what it is, or at least it's it's a franchise It's having an identity crisis, that they almost don't quite know what what's what's good about it when they did yeah they don't it's like they're george lucas or ridley scott and they're like oh uh i'll do another alien film not you don't you do another alien film um or uh i'll do uh, do you know what i'll do i'll fix all the star wars movies don't don't do that and it's like 
it's like I th- either either Bruce Campbell is uh, absolutely in complete denial over who he is and what he's contributed to it, uh, or they're just complete. They've got no self awareness. Um, but every time they go back and do an Evil Dead film, they're like, "We're going to go back to the roots. We're going to make a real horror film." And it's like, why don't you um, make a comedy? Exactly. That's because it. that's what everybody like. Like that's what uh, everyone likes. That's what that's what's the selling point of what. Evil Dead is. Uh, it's not demonic possession. It evo- that isn't it. No one gives. I, I don't give a shit about that. That I don't. I don't find that aspect of it scary. What I find brilliant about it is you've got this kind of like uh, absolute kind of um, matinee idol loser who is a selfish arsehole who's fighting evil spirits, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and and that that's kind of like the concept. Now, if Bruce Campbell's not in it. Recast, not recast that character, but recast the gap. You've got a Bruce Campbell-shaped hole in your franchise that you can recast with anyone. You could recast with a kid or a woman or a man, another man. Do you know what I mean? You, but, like, what you haven't ever done is, you. yeah, you've got new deadites and you've got a new location and you've got a new this and a new that, but you haven't replaced your iconic lead character. Mm-hmm. And until you do that, you're not going to be able to make a... The franchise can't exist. No. There's no replacement. You've not found a, a, a legitimate replacement for Bruce Campbell because you keep going back and like, well, we're going to make it about, you know, the remake was about um, heroin addiction. And going, and I thought going in, that's going to be an incredible film. Yeah. She's got cold turkey. She'll be in the middle of the woods. She's got all of her friends. And it's like perfect It's also on paper. Setup. Oh, it's a good setup. It's the idea that it's previously been in in these woods, in a cabin in the woods, and it starts in a cabin in the woods, and it goes, no, we're going... What, the new one? Yeah, Yeah. we're going urban. It's going to be all in a big block of flats. And you go, right, yes, there's hundreds of different flats, all with different stories going on. Your imagination, instantly, it's called Evil Dead Rise. I live in a block of flats, and as soon as they announced it, there's also like... um, uh, Dario Argento, uh, like he produced it, called, uh, a film called Demons. I think mm-hmm. it's Demons Two, and it's set in a block of flats. And you got Poltergeist Three, set in a set in a high rise, right? And I live in a block of flats. And as soon as they announced it, I was imagining like there's evil spirits behind every door, right? It's not just a cabin in the woods. It's that times two hundred. There's yeah. two hundred cabins in the woods, and behind every door, they're having their own Evil Dead nightmare that's happening. Um, you've got, uh, you, you know, when you're not in you know you've got the evil dead vision going through the woods in the, all the other films and now you've got the evil dead vision going down all the corridors you know um you've got it would be like the raid where they're stuck on the top floor mm-hmm. and they've got to get down to the bottom or they're on the bottom floor and they've got to get up to the top they've got to fight their way through thousands hundreds of dead eyes you mm-hmm. know uh you know if you haven't got the budget for thousands you know but you we know what you can do with the budget yeah. with army of darkness where you had an army of darkness which are just rod puppets skeletons that he's punching in the face and getting his way you know i think everyone as soon as they announced it imagined that's what the film is and then what actually evil dead rise was what and i like the new book and i like the way that um the uh the thing was like um the recording was on a a record Mm -hmm. there were like some superficial aesthetic changes that they made where you go yeah sure Mm-hmm. that's an update but what they did was they the whole film is set in basically a deserted block of flats yeah where there's it's no one, other there's one floor left the, seemingly there's two, there's like maybe one one or two neighbors that are around uh and the whole film is set in one flat or one apartment with one family and uh the whole time they're looking through the peephole 
and they're looking at stuff that is happening directly outside their front door, not down the whole corridor, just directly outside their front door. Um, and it's like what they've done, like with the, with the cabin in the woods as a location, you've got the cabin in the woods, and then when they run out of the cabin, they're in the woods, mm. and then they've got all of the woods. And then when they get past the woods, there's the bridge. And when they get to the bridge, you know, there's maybe safety, but they never get that far. But you know that. And then when they get to the bridge, they're like, we've got to get back to the cabin in the woods. Evil is everywhere. They're fucked, right? When you set that uh, on the top floor of a high-rise apartment building, they are landlocked. They, they can't go to, you know, quote-unquote, the woods because they can't, they can't go out the window. They can't go out the front door in the corridor. So in actual fact... Um, they've got all of the same features. They've got a kitchen, they've got a bedroom, they've got a living room, they've got, you know, um, a record player. They've got all the same features that they would have had in a cabin, but there's less to do because they can't leave the cabin because yeah. it's a flat on the top. So what you've done is you've changed the location. You've promised us as an, as an audience that this is going to be like, um, this is going to be like Evil Dead amped up to a million, right? It's like, you know, and your imagination has basically, and that's not because... Uh, we're idiots that's because that's what you've said that you're going to do that's like you know evil dead well this one this is in a city you know you've got like the view from outside of the um like in ghostbusters when they're looking up at the and the the general public are standing in the streets and they're looking up at this building that they can't get into even ghostbusters 2 when the slime goes around the building they're looking outside the, you know you've got like uh, how does it affect the local community and the local neighborhood you've got all of these like opportunities they don't do anything with it and in actual fact because they've set it in a high rise there's less for them to do mm -hmm. and it's kind of like well that's disappointing isn't mm -hmm. it also I, d I didn't like i didn't like that thing of setting up these characters and then essentially them just being tortured i just found it a bit like i'm not you know i'm not really up for it i just quite liked the that's one thing i didn't like the way they set up all these different neighbors and then did nothing with them and they even set up kind of plot points where there's like this neighbor's got guns. This neighbor's. Yeah. It's all this stuff where you go, right, got it. And it feels like they're setting all this stuff up. Like, he's this person, he's this person. These neighbors' kids fancy one of the girls. And they're, the it's like, got it, got it, got it. You've got these little romance stories. Yeah. You've got set up of guns in that flat. Uh, these There's a family over here. We've also got similar age kids. And you've got all these things like, great. And when they're, set, when they're putting all the things in place, I'm going, good, good, good. And it feels like, great setting that, all this stuff up and then at some point it's going to be now we're off and this is the movie yeah the, and they don't do any of it they get in a lift and they they do like a shining reference and it's yeah. like wh why why are you referencing the shining why aren't you and and why aren't you referencing kind of like maybe uh maybe a wes craven film or something like that or yeah. maybe it's that guy's personal favorite and he's like going he think the shining is scary which is kind of like a, it's an Evil Dead tradition to kind of reference a yeah. Wes Craven movie. And now you've got a new director who's doing it and it's not for like referencing another, but it's one of the most memorable bits in the sure, film. And yeah. it's kind of like, well, it, it's from The Shining, right? Um, and uh, the bit with the lift. And, uh, and the other thing was on the trailer is the cheese grater moment. Yes. And it is a moment, but in, and in the trailer, it's like, oh my God. Yeah. And in the context of the film, it's like blinking, you miss it. Yeah. And they don't do anything with it. And it's like. And you basically get what you got in the trailer. And then you get like, and then they get to the chainsaw bit. And it's like, right, yeah, cool. But it's not just because she's got a chainsaw. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, just bringing a chainsaw out. Chainsaws are in every single horror film now. It's kind of like, what's your modern equivalent of that? Um, 
Yeah, I thought it was... There was one moment early on where... Uh, there was one moment early on where someone gets scalped and that was like... Yes. That was particularly like, ooh! And I thought, we're in for a... Tri-. No. And, um, and like, the beginning doesn't really make sense in the context of the thing. It was sort of like... It felt like... Um, it felt like a bit of a wasted opportunity and I think where they're fucked, basically, is they're going, well, we don't want to go to the cabin in the woods anymore but we're going to get a new hot hot director, an up-and-coming hot director, to make a Sam Raimi Evil Dead film. And it's like, why would you do that? Sam Raimi cut his teeth on the Evil Dead films, he developed his style on the Evil Dead films, and that transferred to stuff like Spider-Man, and he became kind of like a, a world-class film director. He's one of my favourite directors, he's a lovely uh, personality, uh, I love Bruce Campbell, I follow him to the ends of the earth. Um, I do, it does not make me feel good to say that I didn't enjoy this film. Um, but I, I didn't. I, like For me, it was like, um, I hated Halloween Kills, mm-hmm. and for me it was like a Halloween Kills, it was just like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. what you want to do uh, is you want to get a hot up-and-coming director that's got a style of their own and let them make their Evil Dead film. Don't go, wow, you're brilliant, make a Sam Raimi movie. You go, you're, these are the, you need a book, you need a recording, you need an isolated location, and then do anything you want with that. And then that's how I think the, the franchise... Uh, can can live on do you know what i mean by mm. like not like just the the thing that's killing it is the fact that they're just trying to remake us they're trying to give you the aesthetics of another director so what's the point in getting a new director why why produce it you might as well just direct it yourself do you know what i mean if you're just going to force other people to do it your way yeah yeah, it didn't get on with it at all. Yeah, I just felt it seemed like a slightly baffling as well. Like everything I just would have thought, that's how you do it. They didn't do any of the things I, I kind of would just... And I, just don't think of, that that's, I don't think that that's our problem. I don't think that was like... That's not like uh, we spoil it for ourselves. It's like that's the promise that you made. You yeah. said it's Evil Dead in. Uh, you know, you could have had. Um, you could have had like blood pouring out of every window, and and uh, and like um, fucking the side of the the side of the building falling off, and it yeah. being like a doll's house. Because yeah. you know what I mean. It could have like you could have you could have seen like inside every single. And fine, that's a budget. Yeah. But if you don't have the budget to do it, don't say that that's because what you're the gonna... thing the thing we think that about the cheese grater is the cheese grater bit feels like something that would be in an evil dead it's that kind of like it's something like in the household that would that we can feel like there's if, if you're if you were it's visceral it's visceral you you get the you know what a cheese grater is you've put your hand on a cheese yeah. grater you know from an early age watch your fingers on the cheese grater yeah you know from an early age don't do that there's stuff like that in the remake from uh 10 years ago mm. but you know um uh, there's the there's the turkey cutter, isn't yeah. there in the, in the in the remake? Um, so there's stuff like household appliances where you go, oh, using and and that's not what that's just kind of like it's kind of like it uh, it's part of the fun of it. Yeah, that's it. It's a fun idea, the cheese grater, as well as being horrible. <laughs> but it's a fun that feels like that's evil dead. That's why it's in the trailer. And yet in the movie, it's throwaway. So it's almost like when they're cutting the trailer, they've realised they know what it should be. Yeah. And I, but I don't think, I don't think it's the, I don't think it's the director's fault. I think that they were just sort of, it feels like, you know, they weren't given enough freedom to make their, there's like, there's like a drone, there's a joke about drones at the beginning and you kind of go, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the that's the world that we're living in now, mm. and it's kind of okay, sure. Uh, and also, like, why didn't they phone the police or an ambulance or anything? Mm. They don't. Mm. I think they do. Like towards the end, but it's like I don't know. I just thought. It, did, it didn't make sense. That's the least of my problems, but, you know, there you go. Anyway, uh, The Flash. What do you think of The Flash? Um, I thought The Flash was a bit of a mess. I've kind of forgotten about a lot of it. Um, again, it doesn't feel... It feels like it's a film which is being constantly changing what it's supposed to be as they... It, you can feel all the rewrites in the film. Yes. So it feels like it's constantly changing what it is. Tonally, it feels like it's set off as something like, um, tonally, almost like a Deadpool or something. And the opening sort of 10-minute sequence, which is the kind of stuff where it is like a flash film, where it's um, babies flying out of windows and he's catching them all. Horrific CGI babies. horrific CGI babies. Also, a really horrific idea for me i found it horrible yeah like in that way that i think you're supposed to find it funny yeah i found the whole concept really it's like like oh it's like a sick joke yeah and then you go cool but it's in a family movie and you're kind of like going okay all right let's go with it and you're like going but subconsciously i'm thinking this is kind of like a horrible idea at one point he puts a baby in a microwave to protect it and at the end it pings even though the microwave isn't plugged in and it's just like uh, okay, that makes me feel a bit weird. Yes. Like, I don't, I don't, wh- why would you put in a family movie somebody putting yeah. a baby in a mic? Why would you do that? It works at the level where there's a Why peril. would you do something that, that, is, that yeah. is that that replicable? When, when there is the thing of, of. You're not allowed to put kids in fridges in neighbours in the, in the <laughs> 80s. Why are you putting a baby in a mic? It's fucking. When, when, when it's setting it up as, oh no, if he doesn't put the support of this big hospital the hospital's going to collapse and all these babies are going to fall out as a peril as a thing like an example of peril it's a really good one you go great when it actually happens you go oh that's horrible but i the found baby, it really distasteful the babies are so sort of unconvincing and i guess it's because they don't want to show real babies in peril but yeah. also it's like but why do they look so bad and then it kind of makes you go oh is this film going to be like this yeah and tonally i think that's what it's set up to be and also kind of like putting babies in peril with that actor is kind of like (laughs) after everything we've heard about them for the last you know two years and all the delays and it's like we can't release this film yet ezra miller's gone mental or gone batshit bonkers do you know what i mean it's just like it's like i found it really difficult watching ezra miller for the first part of the film then batman shows up and what I realised watching Batman in the Flash movie was that I love Michael Keaton from Batman and Batman Returns. And I, mm-hmm. and I, and ba- I watched Batman recently, the original 89 Batman. It's not a very good film, but, um, but I like it. Yeah. I'm fond of it without actually thinking it's very good. Yeah, I had the same experience. I love Batman Returns a lot. Yeah, it's actually really good. I think it's incredible. It's got no story. It's style over substance. Same problems as Batman, but they've but the the stylistically it's, it's really funny. It's re- it feels genuinely like it is pushing boundaries and being a bit kind of oh, it's really like it really does feel like it's 
doing the most you could possibly have got away with in a 12a and not be like yeah it, it, it's sort of transgressive it's got quite i think yeah it's really interesting i think I it's think. great but i love the design of the suit and mm-hmm. i love how stylistic it is and i love that it looks like german express do you know what i mean yeah. it's like the look of it is brilliant it's brilliant i love it um but um i'm not so in love with michael keaton that i need to see michael keaton um back as batman yeah um, although I I love the fact that you got another shot at it, yeah. Um, but also, it's not the Tim Burton world of Batman. No. So you, you it's stylistically different. So it's not like Batman Three. It's like they've stylistically stylistically it's different. Yeah, it's the same Batmobile. It's the same Batcave. Uh, it's the same Bat. Yeah, sure, fine. They've done all that, but um, it's not shot like a Tim Burton film. It doesn't feel like a Tim Burton film. Um, and yeah, it's a different. It's a different. Um, it's technically not the Tim Burton, Michael yes. Keaton Batman. It's another Michael Keaton Batman. So I was just like, I don't care enough about this to. He is the by by far the best thing in it. It's so delightful seeing him back on screen mm-hmm. doing that. But I don't. I don't miss. I don't have that nostalgia in me where I kind of miss that. My Batman was always the animated Batman. Mm-hmm. And I've got like hundreds of episodes of that. You've got like about two or three great animated movies. Mask of the Phantasm, Sub-Zero, uh, there's another one. Um, but like, um, th- that was my Batman, definitely. And every time they make a Batman film, I'll go into it like open-minded and just like, come on, you can do another one. I quite like the Robert Pattinson Batman. It felt like a Nolan 2.0. Do you know what I mean? It felt like uh, no one, we're not making a Zack Snyder. People like Christopher Nolan, but um, what would you do if you did another Batman in almost the same world as Christopher Nolan. And then they made like, well, how about Batman Begins was year one. How about year two? And we'll use some Batman villains that they didn't. And it's like, it felt like I'm looking forward to the next one. Mm -hmm. If they bring Clayface in and and it becomes, I don't know, supernatural or something like that. I'm like, I think that world could support that. I'm always open to a Batman, but like I wasn't huge on Christopher Nolan's films. I obviously I loved Heath Ledger, but it was like, I wasn't huge on, Christian Bale uh, as Batman. I loved him as Bruce Wayne. It's like, it's complicated. But that's what's great about the character is that it's so kind of like, you can pick and choose whatever you want from it. Um, And everyone will have their own Batman. Some people's Batman will be George Clooney, Mm -hmm. right? Now, I I, I just thought like, if the best thing about your Flash movie is Michael Keaton from the 80s and 90s, it's kind of like... Sure. The other thing about the other thing about it was that it was the uh, the multiverse aspect of it. Now they announced that they announced this Batman film right at the beginning of the pandemic in twenty twenty. It was announced before the Spider Man one. Yeah. So they announced it right before the pandemic. Said so we're going to get um, we're going to get uh, Michael Keaton back, and Marvel went. If they're getting Michael Keaton, we're going to get Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, and we're going to do. And they rushed that out, became the biggest film in the world. And then since then, you've had uh, Multiverse of Madness, and you've had the Scarlet Witch show, and the multi. I haven't watched a lot of this stuff. I watched Multiverse of Madness because it was Sam Raimi. Um, that's fan club, uh, and uh, that's consuming a bay. Uh, but um, but uh, I th- I'm just like I don't give a fuck about the multiverse. To, to to me, what I think the multiverse is is it is. Uh, it's a corporation throwing shit at the wall and saying, well, if we put them all in it, everyone will come. And mm. it's just like, no, make a decision and make that film, right? What I liked about the Spider-Man film was that it gave everyone 
um, a second chance to end it on their terms. So Andrew Garfield managed to like come back and have like a hero moment and make something that was better than, or potentially better than his two sort of fairly... I didn't have a problem with his Spider-Man films, but coming so fast after Tobey Maguire. Tobey Maguire got to like end on a high after Spider-Man 3 and mm. then not being able to make Spider-Man 4. You know, everyone got to come back. You know, um, Jamie Foxx's Electro, they did his Electro differently. You know, you know everyone tried to do something, uh, fix these problems. I quite enjoyed that aspect of it. But by the time... We know what the multiverse is now. It's being explained to us by Marvel over and over again. Now DC are explaining the multiverse... Uh, with a plate of spaghetti and they're like saying oh well when you go back in time and you change something it doesn't just change that point onwards it changes that point onwards and that point backwards which is why uh, we've got Michael Keaton's Batman in uh, in Zack Snyder's universe and it's just kind of like that is the worst explanation of what is going on and in actual fact I'm I'm like I'm confused I don't understand it (laughs) and I'm just going to sit I'm going to sit here until the end I think it's such a mess by the end that it's got no like and essentially it makes you feel sad for that Batgirl film that they never made it makes you sad for all this kind of collateral damage that this yeah. this this film series has had from day 1 really you just go what an absolute mess you've made of this this is very and also they announced that we're not we're not continuing the snyderverse we're not going to continue this universe anymore so you feel bad for gal gadot who's turned up to just have one more go you feel bad for ben affleck you feel bad for all of the fans that went through it you feel like that justice league movie that uh, Zack snyder did what a waste of fucking time uh, i I mean i like that but it's just like why would you go back and watch any of this stuff you know this is the concluding part and the whole of you know aquaman 2 still got to come out but why would you even bother i don't know the blue beetles coming out who gives a fuck like, I don't so they're see coming it. out but they're like it's it's just this sort of doesn't feel like it belongs anywhere and also with the with the kind of ezra miller being this completely controversial figure you think there must be something in this film where they need it to come out they must need this it's to come out they've spent when that you, much money yeah when you watch it you go Oh, it isn't anything to do with plot. It's just money. It's just it's money. Just, it's just like That's it's not why plot where you done go everything and all the cameos at the end. They're so that not only are they inconsequential, but nobody interacts with any of no. the cameos. It's just like some of them are just sort of like a picture of yeah. someone that you remember. Yeah. Um. It's like okay, and then the very end of the film, like the big reveal at the end, is a joke. A joke. It's a joke, and you kind of like go. So, so from Man of Steel through to <laughs> through to Batman versus Superman to Wonder Woman to Aquaman to Suicide Squad to Harley <laughs> Quinn to the Birds of Prey to the Suicide Squad you know all of these films that you've constructed all together right uh, it just ends with uh, we're only joking what's next and you kind of like go you can't like I don't have emotional investment in that, but people did. Yeah. People have been fucking fighting for their version <laughs> of these characters to come out, and a lot of the times they were the best versions that we've had of these characters. Yeah. I loved, uh, I loved what Ben Affleck did, although he never got to make one good, no. one also, good Batman film. He's good in the Flash. Um, and I think Gal Gadot is an incredible Wonder Woman, and uh, I never saw Wonder Woman two. I heard it was terrible, but like these are characters that people love and. Um, and you've ended everything with a like a joke, and it's like, yeah, okay, cool, but it's a gag. It's isn't a gag. That really... It's a gag. It's it reminded me gag wise of what it does. 
is very much like the end of Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes, where you go, what? Yes. It's, it's got it's that sort of end where you just go, oh right, okay. It sort of yeah, it just ends on a gag, but in a kind of wah 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 well, kind of gag. Ezra Miller does this, sort and of... I see, you see it coming as well, and you go, I don't. Ezra Miller does this double take that they cut to like three times, two or three times, (laughs) and every time they cut to to them, uh, it's like a thirty-second reaction shot of of Ezra Miller just sort of like blinking and like rubbing rubbing their eyes and like doing a double take. Spoiler: Bruce Wayne. It's Bruce Wayne comes back at the end, but which Bruce Wayne? George Clooney. Um, it's, it's it's like you go, what, what? but it's it's like it's poorly. I mean, that was the third that was the third ending that they filmed. Essentially, the original ending was uh, they were going to go all in with Michael Keaton. Yes, yeah, so he was going to basically replace Ben Affleck, who at that point had become disillusioned with it, and he was going to be Nick Fury and the new DC universe. And then uh, the people that took over Warner Brothers were like, "Well, you're not, you're not." putting all of your hope and faith in a 75 year old actor like how many how many more batman movies is he going to make you can't do that so then they replaced him with ben affleck and ben affleck comes back and then james gunn took over and james gunn said we're throwing all of that out and we're going to end on a gag and so it's the third end and it and the pacing of the joke doesn't work and it's like it's just bonkers um so it's like a real mix, but I didn't hate it. I have to say, I didn't hate it. I found it weird watching Ezra Miller, and the best thing about it mm. was Michael Keaton. But I and I love Michael Keaton, but I don't care enough about this. I don't care enough about what they did. No, and like you say, I think there is something that is feels a bit cheap about it's, bringing in all these kind of other empty hollow fan yeah, service. It's very, it's very. Um, What's it called? Uh, the the Spielberg one where, you know, Robocop pops up for a second. Oh, um, fuck. Yeah, that one. Ready Player One. Ready Player One. Yeah. No. Um, uh, just uh, Indi- Indiana Jones 5. Indiana Jones and the Dollar Destiny. Um, I really, really liked it a lot. And I went back afterwards because I thought, Am I like a, a really easy touch with Indiana Jones? And I just think I am. I think I, I think I'm into it in a way that I don't think of Indiana Jones as being like my, oh, that's my thing. I love it. It's like one of the things I like. I'm very fond of it. Um, it's like that's a, that's what movies are, yeah, right? As a kid, I would say one of my favourite films was Indiana Jones as the Last Crusade. For like a few years, that was like that's one of my favourite films. That's in my top ten favourite films. But I would never think of it like. I love the Indiana Jones franchise. When I wasn't sure whether I was going to be into this one, I'd heard different versions of it. I kind of had figured out in my head what I thought it was going to be. Um, And it kind of was that, but just done a lot better. It starts off where Indiana Jones is, it's, it's, you know, you get your kind of, a Second World War adventure with a de-aged Harrison Ford. And it's very clear that's what it is. It's very clear all the way through that Harrison Ford is doing his best, but he's not He's not doing a lot of the work. And the de-aging was really noticeable. And yet as soon as I kind of just bought into it, I just went, it's great. This is great. 
Indiana Jones is great. Harrison Ford is great. It's funny. It's got really. I thought that I thought the whole film was really well written. I found it really satisfying and really Indiana Jonesy, and uh, and there's like two or three times during the film, I just laughed at a gag, or I just felt real like. Just odd moments of where I just got a bit of like a bit of joy in it where you just go. And the reason why, like I've heard lots of people say they didn't like it. I found it really lovely and really pleasing. Um, And I do think I'm a bit of an easy touch because I always was quite fond of uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And I watched it again to be like, what do I think about that? And watched it again after I saw this last one and again went, yep, I, I prefer this last one. But then when I watched Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I went, really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like uh, Indiana Jones, for me, growing up, wasn't my franchise. Mm. And I really probably only watched it when I was a teenager or, or later on. Uh, I remember there was a kid at school that went to see Last Crusade in 1989, was it? Mm. And um, and I was and I was way too young for that. I remember Temple of Doom being on telly at Christmas when I was living in London, so I must have been like six or seven, mm-hmm. and it was fucking terrifying. And there was the Terry's Chocolate Orange advert with the bolt. Mm-hmm. You know, there were all these iconic moments from all the Indiana Jones films. They're kind of what cinema is. They were kind of what films are, right, or movies. It's like, and they were there with Back to the Future and Jaws and Star Wars. Um, and and then you had the Indiana Jones films, and not that you can take or or leave them, but um, only as time went on did I really. Like, I loved the Fugitive mm-hmm. when that came out, and then I loved Harrison Ford, and then what I really loved was Harrison Ford and Sean Connery. And what I like about the films is you got Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's your base level Indiana Jones, right? And then you got Temple of Doom which is him teamed up with Short Round, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and a showgirl. Mm-hmm. And and it's a prequel to Raiders of the Lost Art, so you've got a more selfish side to Indiana Jones. And by the end of it, he's kind of like uh, uh, realising that actually it's not about personal gain. You know, the film starts with him uh, selling diamonds on the black market. And then by the end of it, he's returning the stones to and the orphans to the Indian village. And he's a, he's a good person. And then in Raiders of the Lost Art, that's his like ideology. It's like, uh, belongs in a museum and all that stuff right and then in the third film you've got him and you go well what can we do with the character again well what's he like with his dad and then him and sean connery are incredible so i love that and then when you've got even with kingdom of the crystal skull the worst stuff about kingdom of the crystal skull is the cgi and the sound stages the bit when he's in the quicksand just looks so much like a shit soundstage it just like like that's all practical so it's not just the cgi making everything look fake it's like, you know, I can't remember which um, which James Bond film it is. There's a James Bond film where there's a stuntman that's swinging on vines through the trees and uh, and he's, like, doing the Tarzan scream. It's Roger Moore, right? Mm-hmm. And it might be Octopussy. Uh, and, he's, and he's swinging through uh, the trees, right? And he's doing the Tarzan whale and uh, and you look at that stunt and you go, that is a natural stuntman grabbing hold of vines, swinging through the things. When you see Shia LaBeouf swinging through the trees... It like um, it's not just the CGI monkeys. It's not just the CGI. It's the angle of the shot. It's just like 
it doesn't look like somebody doing that stunt. Yeah. It just doesn't look it doesn't look real. And that's what all of the Indiana Jones films are about. They're about like um like the Evil Dead thing. It's like they're like even now, looking back at them, you know, it's not that you're convinced that they're really happening. It's that within that genre seeing the edges of how those special effects were made is part of the charm of it mm-hmm. and i love all that they're movies i know that they're movies they're not real life they're not documentaries they're fun they're bits of entertainment and the, the just the innov- the innovations and the innovativeness of how they made industrial light and ma- magic made those special effects it's movie magic that's what it is and when you do everything cgi and the sounds you feel like you can even see the edges of the soundstage in some of those scenes they just cover it all with jungle and it's like there's a bit of magic that's missing from that indiana jones film i watched it again and like i don't hate it i can't remember that i probably watched it 10 years ago but like the last time i watched it i didn't hate it as much as i did at cinema but like yeah i don't like cgi stuff but i I kind of increasingly don't like it but it feels like that ship sailed doesn't it it's just that's just how they that's how they they, what i found about dial of destiny now this is the example that i mean about you either have to hate something or you have to like something and um and i i did i don't even come down in the middle i loved lots of it but i also hated a lot of it um, not a lot of it, but I hated some of it. Some bits I actually hated, but I loved so much of it. And I love Harrison Ford and I love Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. And they've done the right thing with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. They were like, well, we've done him and his dad. So what's he like with his son? Right. And it's like, right. Okay, cool. They've, they've found an, and what's he like with um, Ray Winstone as his grown up sidekick. They're kind of like finding different people to partner him up with. Mm-hmm to like, bring out a different side of Indiana Jones. And with this one, they bring in his goddaughter, and it's just like, right, okay. So I don't have a problem with any of that stuff, right? I think it's, I think that, I didn't think the, um, it, I didn't think the de-aging stuff at the beginning uh, was particularly good, but um, but I, uh, I, I appreciated what they were trying to do. They gave us like a mini Indiana Jones adventure that we never got. The whole of the Indiana Jones films were set in the 30s, building up to the Second World War. And then this one is set right at the end of the Second World War. And it's a big kind of like, you know, Indiana Jones in wartime adventure that they've done. And and when that opening shot came in uh, and it sort of like pans across kind of like all these Nazis going around burning stuff. uh, And there's like planes in the air and there's bombing. And it felt like I was really worried about what this film was going to be. Oh, they fucked up the Paramount logo. Put the fucking Paramount logo at the bit. Why would you do that with your last one? I thought that was weird. Given that, because I went, um, you immediately go, I guess it's not Paramount anymore. And then it says, Walt Disney and Paramount present. And you go, oh, so you could have just done it. You could have done Paramount. Uh, like, why would you, why would you do, uh, there's only going to be five of them. Why on the fifth one would you change the run and gag? Yeah. Why would you do that? It seemed like there's all this nostalgia stuff, but at the end of the day, there's not only only when it helps, you know, only when it's financially viable. It was just like I thought that that was that was weird. Or, or the equivalent I thought would be, why don't you try and do something with the Disney castle? Well, they did it with the they did it with the Lucasfilm logo. I did they? The Lucasfilm logo is a rectangle, and the opening shot was of a rectangular gold bar in a wall or something right. like that. And it's like, 
Well, it's just a rectangle. The the fun of it is that it's a mountain and then you've yeah. got to fight. It was just fuck off. But the opening shot, the tracking shot, where you see kind of like all the Nazis and all the cars driving up, it, when I saw it, it was like, oh, it's like a proper film. It's like, it mm. feels like a proper film. Exactly. And then you're like bombarded with all the CGI. And so the only thing I would say is, um, and I know this is, this is stating the fucking obvious, but Steven Spielberg isn't my director, right? Um, but what this really accentuates is how incredible Steven Spielberg is, not just at action, but at business. Mm. So there's some, there's a character doing something that uh, has a domino effect that leads into, there's like a hand gesture, someone will duck and like a thing will go over their head and it will hit the person behind them. And it's like, there's sort of like a domino effect to a lot of what he does. There's a bit in um, Last Crusade where uh, they're on the tank and he shoots someone with one bullet and then he like looks at his gun and the bullet goes through three Nazis and he's like, oh my God. And it's like a gag. There's loads of gags in and they, there's a bit in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where they're in the they're in the tank and a bullet ricochets off and kills the it goes through the tank driver's head and he's dead and then he leans on the tank and then the tank veers off and then it has like a real world um, uh, knock on effect and then they're in the tank and then the, 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 the Indiana Jones got to rescue them out of the tank and it's like this thing where it's like these a series of gags that all go together to create a sequence. And I felt like there was none of that in this film. It was like, it was all like a blur of CGI where there was a bit of that on the train where the, where the gun goes around and, mm-hmm. um, and starts shooting the Nazis on the train. And uh, so there was a bit of like... There is certainly something in it where there's something... I remember there were points where I was going, I miss Spielberg on this. Not that it is, and it's, it's James Mangold definitely trying to emulate Spielberg, but it is, there is something where you go... It's missing something. It's missing something. So so I think the the action in the inner not just like the the set pieces, but just the action, the way that Mm. it is directed is so fluid. And it it goes down to the... I loved Last Crusade. The bit when he's stamping the books in the library and Indiana Jones is smashing the floor. Like, there's comedy in all these films, and and physical comedy. And I didn't feel like there was a lot of physical comedy in these films. And uh, he's driving driving around a lot because he's an 80-year-old. And it's like, how do we incorporate him into an action sequence? Well, we'll put him in a a car, right? And it's just like, fine, okay, right. Um, So so I could forgive all of that. I can, and and I have. I've forgiven all of that. I would say that what this film really does is it highlights how incredible Steven Spielberg's Indiana Jones films mm-hmm. were, even Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, in terms of action and what he's doing. And I would also say that you've got the boulder and you've got the bridge and you've got the Well of Souls and you've got uh, the Ark of the Covenant and you've got um, the minecart race and you've got the bit on the speedboat and you've got the bit with the tanks and you've even got the bit with the monkeys and the ants and uh, the bit with uh, the... um, uh, the, the opening sequence in, in Area 51 when they're kind of finding there are these iconic moments and I was just, and they take their time and they set them up and I didn't feel like there were those moments in this film I'm starting with my negatives right and then and, and then the other negative I would say is um, the middle the middle act or not the other negative I would say there's, there's two other things that I would say that I really didn't like was that not I really didn't like the middle act was sort of like very repetitive and long. I had no idea how long this film was. 
and when it got to the final act i was just like well this is like going to be like another 45 minutes right and then it was over and i was like oh right so what was that middle act? it didn't feel like there was any story in the middle act it was just like we're going to go somewhere we're going to find something we're going to move on and we're going to go somewhere else we're going to fight the bad guys kept turning up and it was just like very repetitive and kind of like okay so i thought thought that it was lacking a bit of story and then the other thing was i you know heard terrible things about phoebe waller bridge and you know um i thought when she was first introduced I and like her character when she was first introduced I thought she was really good and I think towards the end she was really good there is a middle section where her character is just being horrible to Indiana Jones and you feel like <laughs> you feel like one of your elderly relatives is being abused <laughs> and it's like you I love it's not that I don't like her it's that I love that character Indiana Jones and ha I love Harrison Ford yeah. so much it was like and I don't want to see him get old. I don't want to. I don't want to think yeah. about Harrison Ford one day dying. <laughs> I don't want it. And this film is all about that. And so you're feeling sad, but you're also feeling like he's being abused, and you also feel like I feel like the film isn't necessarily uh, on his side. I feel like I feel like some of the things that she says to him is are, like like are despicable, and we're meant to be like on her side, enjoying it. And I felt like, so I didn't like, I didn't like that aspect of it. But then again, I think towards the end, uh, I really liked her again. And I didn't, and I think that she did a great job. I thought mm. she was great. Um, uh, yeah, so there was sort of like missed opportunities. I liked, um, I didn't like seeing him in his pants at the beginning and like being like a crotchety old man, like banging on the thing. It's just like, yeah, it's sort of like, uh, but I, I found the bit when on the boat, when he's talking about Mutt, I cried. I thought that that was incredible. And then it ends with a Phoebe Waller-Bridge one-liner and you're like, why would you say that? It just made me hate her. And then uh, the ending made me cry and I thought it was, and what I thought was really interesting about it was I found that I saw it three weeks ago and I've thought about it every day since. The Flash I haven't thought about at all. Mm. I thought about Indiana Jones 5 every day since and I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of like, uh, Star Wars has been sort of run into the ground and uh and then willow has been taken off disney plus and this is their last franchise but it's not a franchise they've got one disney spent five million on lucasfilm and five billion five billion on lucasfilm and uh the the hotel that they've opened is closing the uh people are sort of like burnt out by all the star wars and there's not been enough good star wars or like uh, there's not been enough excellent Star Wars to make it everyone's investment worthwhile. Mm -hmm. And Star Wars should be every every 10 years, and it should be an event. It should be special. It shouldn't be every uh, every three months there's a new series starting. You know, it should be kind of saved up like Christmas, you know. And, um, and, and they spent $5 billion on that for Star Wars, Willow, and Indiana Jones. They're buying the Indiana Jones franchise, but they've only got one film because it's not James Bond. Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones, yeah. and he's got one film in him. Um, I think that's one of the things I really liked about it. Actually, is the f the the finite yes. element for something which is such a, a big franchise that they think they might exploit. It feels like it's saying no. 
Yes. Indiana Jones is Harrison Ford. Yes. And that's what's good about it. And you shouldn't get Chris Pratt or someone to yes. just take it over. Well, I, th- I always... Uh, well, uh, my, my solution to that was at the end of the last Indiana Jones film, he takes all of his books and his adventures and his stories and he takes them to Paramount and he, and he sells them to the movie studio mm. and then after that they could recast him every time they, they, they go Indiana Jones is Harrison Ford yeah. Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones that existed but now we're making stories based on the adventures that he sold to yeah. do you know what I mean or not, not necessarily that he sold them but they nicked his books or yeah. something right and then you could make Indiana Jones films with the other actors forever and ever and ever but because their adventures based on his stories right yeah i thought that that would be a, a nice way to make everyone happy but anyway my point is that like so Catherine kennedy's been getting a lot of abuse and blame for for why this film isn't working and there's a lot of idiots that are kind of like well we're not going to watch it it's it's struggled i think part of it is that it's aimed at uh, a generation of people that aren't going to the cinemas after the pandemic yeah i think and who's it for like, who is this film for, yes. right? Um, and so there's a bunch of people that aren't going to the cinema. Part of it is the fact it's Disney and everyone knows that it's going to turn up on streaming and people are already paying eight ninety nine a month for streaming. So why would you go to the cinema to see this when you know you're going to get it for free in, in two months' time, right? Uh, or, or six weeks' time or a month's time. Uh, part of it was terrible word of mouth. Part of it has been sabotage. Part of it has been whatever, right? Um, and part of it has been like uh, the, the treatment of Star Wars and everyone's just like, and the treatment of, you know... Indiana Jones, uh, no, sorry, James Bond and uh, all these big franchises that, that people have perceived that um, have all gone down the shitter. Like, oh, the Terminator films aren't good anymore. They haven't been good since <laughs> the, the 90s, you know. Um, so it's, it's kind of like, there's all of that. And, and Kathleen Kennedy's been getting a lot of flack and people have been like going like, well, let's, this film is trash. This film is terrible, right? There's a lot of hate aimed towards this film. People are not taking into account that Harrison Ford had a lot of say in this film. And this is not just the film. There are elements in it that I imagine Kathleen Kennedy wanted in the film. Fine, right? Great. She's produced it, right? This film is also the film that Harrison Ford wanted to make. And there's elements of it that about about growing old and ageing that I think are actually very uh, beautiful and interesting. And I, and I don't... F- I feel like the film isn't in the same league as the original three mm. or the original first and the third. And then the second one is like a throwaway adventure. But those three films, they were magical, right? They had actual magic in them. And this film is not that. This film feels like a epilogue, right? Yeah. Which is in a different genre. It's got a different tone. It feels it, visually, it's very different, but it's like an epilogue. And I also think one of the things that I thought was beautiful about it, which I found, this is what I'm going to say about this. And then, that's all I've got to say, really. But my thing that I felt about this film was that there's a generation of people, there's a generation of people and men. Harrison Ford is a, isn't a manly man, right? Harrison Ford. I, I, I saw something recently and people were like, women wanted to fuck him and men wanted to be him. And you kind of like go, yeah, I've never thought about Harrison Ford like that, but he is. You know, when he wears the glasses... He's an intellectual, but he's also fuckable. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and and all of his different looks that he has when he wears a tuxedo, when he's doing, they're all very kind of like. What well, is that thing where he's he's professorial and he's like, and you think, and as a kid, I always went like, when it started, I always go, ah, oh, it is where he's kind of just like he's like professor, and when he goes out and he's got the hat on, then he's like the action man. 
And then when you watch him a bit older, you go, oh, it isn't that at all. He's professorial, but all the girls in his class fancy him. Yeah. It's that idea. And he goes, got it. There's also a lot of stuff that's about like, well, this is a boy's thing. It's a boy's adventure. It's just like, no, Harrison Ford was fucking sexy and everyone loved Harrison Ford. You know, women loved uh, Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, You know, and men loved uh, Indiana Jones. Everyone wanted to fuck Indiana Jones, right? Like, so it's 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 universal on that level, right? Um, So (laughs) it's kind of like it's not a boys' adventure. It is kind of for everyone. That's how films work, right? Mm. Um, And what's wrong with making boys' adventures and all this stuff? But 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 I tell you what's wrong about it is that that in the eighties, you know, we had uh, Indiana Jones, we had Arnold Schwarzenegger, we had Sylvester Stallone, we had these manly men, and we were taught to be stoic and tight-lipped, and you know, keep your problems to yourself. And what Indiana Jones Five is about, Dial of Destiny, it's about a man who has lost everything, and he is kind of like at the end of his life and he cannot he does not have the tools to open up and ask for help yeah because he is a man he's a manly he's a classic manly man he's 80 years old and there's a whole generation of people that are 80 or that are our age 40 that have been taught that the way to be a proper man is to be stoic and to uh, you know uh, quietly take on the burdens of the world and uh, and and uh, internalize everything and just kind of like not complain and uh, not ask for help and solve all your problems by yourself and if you can't solve all your problems yourself you kill yourself you know you eventually get depressed and you end up killing yourself and uh, and because you don't know how to ask for help and this film, for me, um, was showing you a character that we all love. He's like our dads, you know. Uh, he's like he's like uh, our granddads. He's like our relative. He's a guy that we love, and he's at the end of his life, and he cannot ask for help, and he's sad, and he doesn't know what to do. And there's a moment at the end of the film where he chooses to die. And that is bleak and that is depressing. And if you want Indiana Jones from Temple of Doom or you want Indiana Jones from Last Crusade or Raiders of the Lost Ark, this isn't that Indiana Jones. This is a different thing. This is what happens when you spend your whole life trying to be that and at the end of your life you end up with nothing. And there's a moment where he makes a decision because he doesn't know how to ask for help. And Phoebe Waller-Bridge punches him in the face (laughs) and makes him do something that he wasn't planning on doing, that he didn't want to do. And at the end of the film, he has a happy ending. And I think that that's a really important, that's a really important thing to do. It's like, it's, it's a lesson. And I don't know if this was Harrison Ford's intention that, you know, he's doing his bit for toxic masculinity, you know, I don't know if it's his intention, but like, it feels like he's like gone, look, you can ask for help. You don't have to have all of the answers. You can listen. You can let love into your yeah. life, and just because you're not uh, you're not in your heyday, you're not uh, you're not the action adventurer that you always imagined yourself you would be in your youth. If you open your heart to love and you let uh, you let other people, you let women into your heart, you let you let women into your lives, uh, you you let uh, you, you you let friendship flourish, you know. If you open your life up to other people, then you can have a happy ending 
that might not be the most epic of all endings, but it's a it's a it's a perfectly serviceable final act. Mm. And I and I just thought there's something really profound about that, where he's it's almost like a public service. He's reminding yeah. people. And if you really want the Indiana Jones movies from the eighties, then this might not be that, but. It is the guy that made those films that is trying to say something with this character about how he feels at this point in his life. And we don't know how many more films he's got in him. Yeah. And I think it's a really beautiful film. And if you're not going to go and see it because you think Kathleen Kennedy fucked up Star Wars, then you're a fucking bellend because you should go and see this film. I think there's that you don't have to love all of it and you don't have to hate all of it. There's enough in it where you can kind of, well, I found it, I, there was stuff that I hated in this film, but there's enough stuff that I loved that I found it quite nourishing. Mm. Oh, yeah, I think it's a real, like Harrison Ford is the winner in it. He's like the real, like, he's an absolute superstar. And when you watch it, it's like, he's like the, it's like the end of an era. It mm. really does feel like, not just for Indiana Jones, but also for just like actors like him movie stars yeah it's like it's like it's basically saying this is the end of the action era this is like the sort of twilight of the action era in 30 or 40 years time we'll have vin diesel doing fast and the furious you know 40 <laughs> and it'll be really sad and people will be like oh god why did they make the last one so sad but like we've got nothing to replace him with yeah at, at, at the moment i think that there will be kind of like a return to I think something it's really at some interesting point. that i mean this week where you know, sure, like Barbie's come out, and you think it's a. Uh, it's really interesting that that film is a phenomenon this year, and I know it's based on a, uh, you know, a toy that's been it, around it is 50 a, years. It is a phenomenon. But, it's a phenomenon, but let's not it forget, like it is also an advert. Yeah, but but it's also again, it's like it's for like the people that are going to see it that are going in fancy dress and things, they're also like a different generation to us. It's like, yeah. it is just a different, it's sort of a different world. But it's kind of exciting that there's still new stuff that can come out yeah. that draws like a massive audience in, yeah. which has been one of the things that I think has been slightly disappointing to me the older I get, where it feels like, films like that feel like, oh, well, I guess there's a limited audience for this film that I'm enjoying. Is quite, yeah. you know. Yeah, but also, thank God it's the last Indiana yeah. Jones film as well. Thank God they can't make any more Terminator films. You know, just like, fucking, if you, if you, they've ran everything into the <laughs> ground, they've ran absolutely everything into the ground, and you've got to start making new stuff so that we can be nostalgic about old shit in 40 years time in 30 years time like you can't keep remaking these yeah. things you can't do it and there needs to be new stories in the world and if people hate indiana jones 5 thank fucking god you had your three indiana jones films you didn't like the fourth one of course you're not going to like the fucking fifth one of course he's 80 right <laughs> there is stuff that's good in it but like but like stop making them and start yeah. making new things start telling new stories stop taking existing franchises and just like like race swapping stuff and, gen and gender swapping stuff stop doing it and start creating put your money where your mouth is and start creating new stories with new characters that appeal to new demographics and new people it's cowardly to just be like well we're going to make uh, we're going to we're going to remake um, uh, a Disney classic we're going to make Little Mermaid and we're going to uh, remake Snow White but, but make a fucking new story make a new story that, that from the ground up um Tells the message that you want that you want to tell, and don't just use stuff for kind of like uh, uh, street 
street recognition, you know, mm. and name recognition. And just like have the fucking courage of your convictions. If if you want to create a brand new world and something that's accessible for everyone, start making those films and stop just kind of like drawing on stuff from the fucking from the fucking 30s and 40s it's just kind of like of course that stuff is racist and sexist and homophobic <laughs> of course it is because you're going you're kind of like mining into the past it's hundreds of years into the past <laughs> you know what i mean it's just kind of like, of course of course it hasn't aged well start making new stuff i think yeah it's bonkers um final film mm-hmm. asteroid city asteroid city should we oh. do a one word review for this and then move on one word review no, well, I think I think there's just a little point on it. I haven't, I didn't enjoy the last Wes Anderson film, French Dispatch. I think what he's done is what kind of what we're saying about, um, like uh, Ari Aster. I think what he's not interested in now. I think this film is him saying, "I'm not interested in making uh, the films I used to make." And there's a bit in it where it starts off and uh, which is what I liked. And I think what you like were those things like like in Royal Tannenbaum's where they seem cartoonish. Then something happens and you realise you've really invested in these kind of quite cartoonish characters. And then you go, oh, I've really invested in it. And there's a payoff and I'm really moved when something bad happens to them or they're upset or there's bad, bad, real you know, <laughs> a, a bad things happen to these characters that you thought you were watching as a cartoon. And I think that's that was his real strength with all those films, the first sort of four or five films. I think what he's doing now is going, I think he's hit this point where he's just gone, I'm not interested in doing that anymore. I'm entirely interested in my aesthetic. And he does it in this one by setting it off where it says, uh, the Asteroid City film that you're watching... He starts off by saying, almost like the first words in the film are something like, this is a play within a play. These are char- these characters don't exist. They're not real. Um, and it has this sort of theatre stage. And when it does that, you go, I would watch that Wes Anderson film where it's all the... You think that's a good setting for a Wes Anderson film, all these old actors who work in the Broadway theatre. That's a fun idea. But all he's doing <coughs> is setting up this idea of saying, I'm no longer interested in investing in these characters i'm creating a world which is completely at, like um it's not real he's going this is the film the thing you're about to watch isn't real none of the people in it are real they're characters in a play and then you go okay and you realize that the play bit doesn't mean anything and he's saying that the characters in the film almost like don't it's almost like don't invest in this this is this is pure aesthetic all I'm, all I want to do is do my the most Wes Anderson-y Wes Anderson films now. And when he did that, I had a real like I sort of took it as a bit of a thing, like okay, that's what it is. And on that level, I was like, I went, I'm enjoying the sort of what he does, <coughs> um, and it's the thing that's been stopping me from enjoying a lot of his last few films. I think. Is the CEO, okay, well, that's what you're not interested in. So it's almost like you'll never make a film anymore that's as well-rounded. But what you will keep doing are these very stylized Wes Anderson movies where you're almost not supposed to invest in them. Sure. I kind of feel like um, he's, like, turned into Woody Allen. 
where you'll go and, you know, you'll, oh. I think that is it. It's like... I think he's Tim Burton or, you know, it's that sort of, that's what I do. Maybe that's a more acceptable <laughs> reference. No, but your I point... I don't mean he's tended to Woody Allen. No, I mean he's no, I understand Woody your Allen point movie, totally, yeah. Where, like, he's like, it's Cassandra's dream phase where where it's just like, well, yeah, my, I liked French, Dis- French Dispatch. Army of Darkness is my favourite film. My other favourite film is Royal Tenenbaums. They couldn't get more two different films, really. Um, I love Royal Tenenbaums so much. I feel like that is his masterpiece. And I feel like he could have stopped, you know. All of his films are about dysfunctional dads and, yeah and and, and th- i find that quite fascinating that it's almost like he's like not interested even though you do kind of have characters like that but it's just like it's like he's sort of closed himself off from something it, it's like i don't i don't know it's like um i don't what do you mean almost like i'm not interested in exploring that any further i've done this right and well, it's like well oh. he's not he doesn't work with owen wilson anymore and owen wilson wrote co-wrote his first three films mm. And he was, he felt like he added uh, a significant, um, you know, he added all the heart to the yeah. films. And now, and, and now he doesn't work with, he doesn't write anymore. And I, and I miss that partnership. Um, I love Owen Wilson. I love Luke Wilson. And, um, and it's, it's a shame that they don't work together as much. Um, um, I, yeah, I, I thought Prince Dispatch was better than. I didn't. I mean, I didn't love Life Aquatic. I didn't. Um, I think it's it's good, but it was definitely a step down from Royal Tenenbaums. And like Bottle Rocket is a bri- is a brilliant film. Rushmore is a is a good film. Royal Tenenbaums just has me every single time. I think it's just incredible. The cast, the story, the how it hits me emotionally, the the quirky dialogue which doesn't come across as wanky and pretentious. It's like it fits. I just think it. There's, you know. I love everything about that film. I think it's great. Um, I just think that this... There's, I tell you what, there was a specific bit that was a real alarm bell for me early on where, for a start, it's just kind of like... It's, it, it was sort of explained to me. I can't remember where I read it, but it's like, it's Wes Anderson doing a science fiction movie. Mm. And I went in, like, going, great. And then when you see it, it's definitely not that. Um but it's also sort of like it is taking a um, a, a scientific a science fiction movie. Tr- it's there's a flying saucer in it, so which isn't a theatre thing. That is a movie thing. So I don't see why it was all set up in a world of theatre. It's like I were- don't think it does make sense. Other than my own, that's well, that's one of the things I mean. I don't think it makes sense. Other than my own interpretation, I would it. love to see kind of like Wes Anderson taking like nineteen fifties actors and making Streetcar Named Desire. Yeah, or, me too. Or Tennessee so Williams or something like that. Go, okay, and you kind of like go, but so why have you taken a nineteen fifties actor studio theatre people, Marilyn Monroe and Marlon Brando, and and taken all of that kind of uh, era? And then about that's so about theatre, and it's about a play, and the play is something that is so obviously cinematic. Yeah. And of the 1950s, like the I loved the aesthetic. I thought the uh, there's three things that I love: it's horror, 
Cowboys and Science Fiction, <laughs> 1950 Science Fiction. And it had the Science Fiction and it had uh, the Cowboy. I just loved the colour palette. I thought Steve Carell was really good, but like obviously he wasn't in it much. No one was in it much. Uh, Jason Schwartzman normally rubs me up the wrong way. I hated Darjeeling Limited. And I thought this was this is the best he's been in any of these films since Rushmore. There was stuff that I kind of liked, but I, overall I hated the film. I didn't look at my watch once in Indiana Jones. It was two and a half hours long, and when it ended, I was shocked, right? Not that it zipped by, but, like, there was no middle act. With this, it was an hour and 45 minutes, and I was looking at my watch through it, just, like, going, how am I... I hate this film. I hate it. There's the, this running gag with this roadrunner. There's a roadrunner that keeps popping up, and at one point, Tom Hanks mentions a coyote, and you're waiting for a coyote to come along and eat this roadrunner, and it never happens. And it's kind of like, why wouldn't you do that? You're discussing high art, but you're also referencing... I guess what you're perceiving as low art, or even though Looney Tunes, the Roadrunner cartoons are incredible. But mm. like, so it's kind of like you're referencing that, but you're not really like, I don't know, there was all this other stuff. The thing that like set the alarm bells up, there's a bit when Jason Schwartzman walks into the diner at the beginning, and it's like a typical bit of Wes Anderson y uh, dialogue where. But it's like it's like he's copying a copy, you know. It's like it's like this is the kind of he's written it like this is the kind of thing that Wes Anderson would write. And it's like, well, you are Wes Anderson, and he's like, oh yeah, oh well. <laughs> and he goes into the coffee shop and uh, the diner, and he's followed by he's got three little girls mm-hmm. and a son, right? And he goes in and he says, uh, we'll have five flat uh, five flat ba- five flapjacks and a black coffee, right? And it's meant to be like, he's a controlling dad. He's ordering for everyone, right? Classic. Classic Wes Anderson, right? He's ordered everyone's food and he's ordered himself uh, and he's ordered a black coffee, right? And it's like, yeah, that says everything that you need to know about that character. And then they go, but we kind of want to do a cute bit with the girls. So now what we're going to do is we're going to have the waitress ask all of the girls individually what they want to drink. And it's like, okay. So what is he? Is he ordering for everyone or is he not ordering for everyone? Yeah. What's going on? Like, it's the sort of thing that Gene, Gene Hackman would do in Royal Tenenbaums where he would order everyone's stuff for everyone and then no one would get a say in what they got, right? But they haven't done that. They've kind of set that up. They've had their cake and ate it, right? They've had their flapjack and ate it too, right? They've, they've, he's ordered for everyone. And then they go, and what would you like to drink? And what would you like to drink? And what would you like to drink? Mm. And then they have like this cutesy bit and it's like... I like the I like the response that the girls did, like. But it is also kind of like it's. I mean, the whole thing is incredibly theatrical. I would say bordering on uh, obnoxiously pretentious. I just didn't. It just rubbed me up the wrong way. Um, but that specific bit at the beginning was kind of like it lacks sort of a finesse to it, where it's just well. Well, why is he ordering for everyone? Because what you could have done is you could have done a thing where he went in and he just ordered for himself and he's a preoccupied dad and then she had to go and take everyone else's order individually mm. and then that told us about their personality. But what you've done is it's like it's fallen between two stools. He's not ordering, he's not quite ordering for everyone even though he is kind of ordering for everyone and then they're going in and getting everyone's order because you wanted to give them all like a moment. And I just wonder, I don't think it was, I, I, I don't know if it was deliberate it felt like it was like sloppy. It felt like Do you know what that is something. No, I think it was something. I, I remember that being something at the time I was watching it as well. Went that feels a bit weird. Yeah, it just feels like an odd moment in something which is so but you tightly know, done and do you so know what kind I mean? of yeah. like like he either goes in and orders for everyone everything, 
Or he goes in and doesn't order for everyone yeah. and just himself or maybe him and his son and then the girls have to order for themselves. But for him to just like do half and half, it was like, well, well, what's that? The other thing was there were these shots between St- uh, uh, Jason Schwartzman and uh, Scarlett Johansson in the... Yeah. In between the two... Kind of chalets, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, the chalets. And it, like it's... this Stylistically, it is immaculate. Yeah. And then you've got the you've got um, Jason Schwartzman is a photographer and he's got this um, red light bulb uh, that he's developing his photos with, right? And um, in the shot from Scarlett Johansson's window to his, the light bulb is there and it's still. And then when you've got the shot from his room to hers, the light bulb is swinging, uh, either in the wind or someone's just knocked it, and you go. If you've got such an attention to detail in this film, why is that happening? Is that deliberate or is that not deliberate? That looks sloppy. There's a bit when he's got a toasted cheese sandwich and it's got like these lightning bolts all over it. And in one shot, it's one way. And in another shot, it's the other. It looks like that exchange was made up over three takes. Mm. It's like, if you've got such an attention to detail, why? And maybe it's pointing out the artifici- artificiality of what we're watching. Maybe it is. Or maybe it was just they were in a rush that day and uh, there's not been, you know, there's an attention to detail to an extent, but then there's not. Like It was though, it was like the, the toasted cheese sandwich really sort of like was like, it keeps changing direction. What, like, yeah. why is that? And it's kind well, of like, every, and I wouldn't be saying that if it was just a regular film. That sort of stuff doesn't normally bother me. But the attention to detail is so specific and exquisite in everything that he's done in this film that it's like, well, why would you Why would you not, like, cross the T's? But, like, all that stuff feels like that thing of saying, these are characters, these aren't real. It feels like he's trying to do something very deliberately. Like, there's that bit where the Brian Cranston, who's the narrator... <laughs> Awful. Kind of walks into Awful. the walks into the story, and everyone's kind of like, "What are you doing here?" And you go, and it's kind of cringy. It's, it's like, like fringe, really, like, it's like fringe theatre. Yeah, you go like, it's oh, like, oh, God, am I in really? the wrong? He's like, oh, am I in the wrong scene? And yeah. then he walks out again. It's just kind of like, right, that wasn't funny. No. Like, not, not like, but it, like, it was. I weirdly, I watched Flash in an empty cinema. I watched Indiana Jones in an empty cinema. I watched Asteroid City in a jam-packed cinema, and nobody. It was. Absolute dead silence for that. And then it kind of like you go, right, there, that was an obvious joke and it wasn't funny. Were we meant to be laughing at the entire film? Were Have there been jokes to that degree throughout the entire movie that I've missed? <laughs> or is it, it was like, oh, it's no. Just, it's like, it's like, it's got this thing where he's trying to make a point of saying this isn't real, it isn't real. And it's like, and to me, that's the only way I can interpret it, that he's just going... Oh, listen, I'm not going to make these movies I used to make anymore. I'm just going to make really... I'm basically going to make, like when like when I do an advert, they're going to be like, they're not about anything. It's just me doing Wes Anderson cut out. It's all style. That's what I'm interested in. Yes. And that's what it... And that that's the only way I could interpret it. But it's such a weird... And like bits like that are like, okay, we get it. We get it. It's rubbish. It's not a good... But it's like, it's not deep. No. It's like... It really is fringy. It's like, it's sort of six for me or something. It's sort of like, I've had a good idea. It's like, no, it isn't. It made me think, you got Brian Cranston to say that. Did anyone on set find that funny that day? Did anybody enjoy doing that bit? Was it good? It feels a bit like they're going, it feels almost like (laughs) that he's done it as an improvisation and he's gone, do you know what? If it's shit, I'll just cut it out in the edit. But just... 
Should we give that a go? I don't know. It's just, it was so rubbish. It was, it was like a bit of like business. And I go, felt like everyone was sort of like reveling in the fact that they were making a Wes Anderson film, that mm. they didn't question whether it was any good or not. And it was like, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. So I liked French. Uh, the thing I liked about French Dispatch, uh, there were some real good visual jokes. The bit when they're doing kind of like the, the tray of drinks at the beginning and um, Owen Wilson cycling through the streets. and uh, oh, That's the best bit of it. But, I, but what I liked about the French Dispatch was if you didn't like the bit you were watching, you knew there was another bit coming up soon. It's like an anthology film. Whereas with this, it was like, I don't like this. I'm stuck with it for an hour and 45 minutes. And it feels like it's like four hours long. Um, yeah, I uh, hated it. And it felt almost like there's when when it had the theatrical bits, it just felt like hated well, this could be a, this could it. be a this could this could be a Wes Anderson film. Well, the theatrical Why stuff wouldn't this is be like, a Wes Anderson the theatricals, film? I, I mean, I studied theatre. I used to write theatre. It's just like I've stu- you know, it's just like I'm, I'm interested in this world. I'm interested in the world of cowboys and science yeah. fiction and, and it's almost sources. like that. Could, that to me, that that could be the next film. I like it? the cast. The cast is incredible. Yeah. I like everything that's in this except for the film. <laughs> I don't like what you've. I think yeah. you, out of all of the ingredients that you've made, this is. I do not like it. I I, I didn't I didn't enjoy it. Um, and and. You know, you could watch it again, and everyone says, "Well, you should watch it." All the people that love it say you should watch it twice. I don't want to watch it twice. I didn't enjoy it enough. I don't um, know. I might revisit it at some point, but I'm in absolutely no hurry to. I'd watch French Dispatch again, but I don't think you know. This this broke me. This was like this is my limit. This is my limit. Um, uh, right. So those are all the. Yeah. That's our catch up. That's our catch up. That's our catch up. Um, and. Uh, we should do the obey part of the. Yeah, right. Uh, so, so now, uh, have you sent me the? Have you sent me the? Have you sent me the? I've sent you the list of all the. Uh, where's the list in my? In it's my, in your WhatsApp. It my, don't send it. Is it WhatsApp? Yeah. I thought you were going to say that you sent it to my. Um, uh, to my Google Mail. No, I, I can't open it. I know we get everyone to email it. <laughs> I can't open Google Mail on my phone. Got to get my fucking laptop out. <laughs> okay, so here we go. Brian Johnson in the house. I've climbed all the way up this shitty rope ladder, and here I am. Brian Johnson. Uh, are there any brackets? Yeah, there are. Uh, okay, I guess there are. I did those though. So we've had a lot of suggestions this week. Uh, I'm very excited about what. The, the 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 lads and the ladies have been suggesting so um but we've already watched the film we've already decided it. hey maybe we should do this at the end once we've talked about last week we were do you know who asked us to watch it uh, it was Newman Cruz. Is this on this list? Is he on this list? Maybe I don't not. think he's on, no, this, he's not list. on this list. A uh, Newman Cruz, uh, lads, Nick and Nad. Here's my challenge to you, Brian Johnson here. Giant Brian Johnson in the treehouse. In the clubhouse. <laughs> There's a little bit of Wogan about him as well. Oh, thank you. Uh, do you know what? I watched uh, the best of Blankety Blank last night. I saw that was on. I it was sure. absolutely incredible. It was incredible. Terry Wogan was so fucking incredible. It was, incre- it was amazing. You know what? I'll say it again, though. The new Blankety Blank with... Uh, who? The new Blankety Blank. Yeah, but who? Braddy Walsh. Yes, right. Okay. And I, like, I keep catching Perfect. it and going, I go in. 
you are brilliant at this, Bradley. It's He's perfect, perfect for it. Perfect. And it's, it makes jokes about how shit all the prizes are. Perfect. It's all like, so he'll do it and he'll go like, and uh, what are you going to do with the money? And there's always someone saying, I might buy a caravan or something. He'll go, not on this show. <laughs> and it's all like that. And you go, yeah. great, great. Yeah, yeah but also, um, also, uh, it's the Bradley, you know, when you get all the memes of him cracking up on the chase. And then yes. when you actually watch the chase, it's none of that. Yeah. It's like he's half asleep and he he just wants his lunch. He wants to go home. But they film five episodes a day. Um, so so it's not that. But what you get with that is it's like, uh, this is the Bradley Walsh that you were promised. Yes. And that's the format of Blankety Blank. It's a shit show. It's such a simple show. It's brilliant. It's genius. Yeah. The Terry Wogan one, when he comes on and he's wearing, he's got his, he's got like his, uh, his, his medieval uh, haircut. <laughs> it's like, when was that a look? He looks like um, Mulligan and O'Hare from uh, Smell of Reeves and Mortimer. It's like absolutely bonkers. He looked like a, a medieval servant and, uh, oh, with his thin microphone. It was brilliant. I just thought it was really great. Anyway, thanks for the catch-up, lads. I watched it too. That's why I sound a bit like Morgan myself tonight. But anyway, ah, what we had was we had, what was the name of the fella? Newman Cruz. Newman Cruz. Yeah, that's uh, that's the colour of money. That's it the ca- that's the entire cast of Martin Scorsese's Colour of Money, sequel to Last. Hmm. <laughs> so Newman, Paul Newman, Tom Cruise, Cruise, Newman Cruz. Just explaining my own. As a matter, uh, Newman Cruz suggested that we watch the movie. That uh, Newman Cruz suggested that you lads watch the movie. Nick and Nat, please watch. What was the name of the movie? Cop Killer. Cop Killer, but it was also called Corrupt. It yeah, was it also was called, called. Had like three names or something. It's it? called Order of Death. Cop Killer. Corrupt. Uh, and lads, to help you out, I, I sent you the YouTube link. It's free it on is. YouTube. It's free YouTube, and apparently is out of copyright. Uh, hang on, hang on. Sorry, Brian. I'm leaving. Even now, and now right. you lads can talk about it. Okay. Just, I'll come back at the end and I'll set up next week's challenge. Okay. Great. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, a bit. Brian. That was nice of you. That's really good. Uh, what were you going to say? You had say? a bit quiet for a bit, Nick. Yeah, I'll just let him do it. He's, he's an absolute rock and, he's rock and roll royalty. Um, Feature presentation. So we watched the uh, the movie, and I don't know any of the details about this. It was on YouTube. It's on YouTube. You forwarded me the YouTube link. Well, you decided thing, what... We, I decided it of all the choices just because I thought that sounds... Well, it sounds almost like my favourite kind of film, in a way, because it's like a complete, like, I don't know it. It sort of sounds incredible. It feels like it's come out of nowhere. Like, what? Never How do we... Why do we not know about this film? Mm-hmm. The film... Uh, but so, so someone called Newman Cruz... Who I know, I know him. You know him. Did he tweet you? Yeah, he tweeted me and he said... He tweeted... So Newman Cruz, he tweeted you... Yes. And he said, I want you two... To what? To obey. Yeah. And watch Cop Killer. Exactly. So we've obeyed, we've both watched Cop Killer, and now we're here to talk about Cop Killer. Exactly. Which is available... If you want to watch along at home, it's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. And I believe, reading up, it says... I think it's actually just out of copyright. So it's probably available all kinds of places. Right, okay. I think it's lost whatever copyright is. It so is I think an, you can legally watch it on YouTube. It was filmed in 1981. It was released in 1984, but it says it was 1983. Right, okay. Um, and uh, it is a movie that stars... Uh, Harvey Keitel yes and John Lydon yes and it's the first time uh, that John Lydon was ever credited as John Lydon and not Johnny Rotten okay um, so 
the Sex Pistols were at their height in uh, 1976. I mean, they had one album. Yeah, so they, seven, I think they were done by about 1977, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, they, they were in and out, and then that was it. I think, when did Sid Vicious die? 19, was it 1977? Oh, yeah, yeah it might, well, oh, yeah, it might have been a bit after that, I think. But yeah, so, so, so 1976 was their big year. They had one album, never mind the bollocks, and then that was, they, they changed the music, the face of music forever, <laughs> but, um, and then John Lydon went off to do... Pill. Pill, Public Image Limited. Now, I've always liked John Lydon. He yes. did a radio documentary about Alice Cooper once. Oh, yeah. And I just, and I've loved him ever since. I even loved his butter advert. And, I, and the reason he did the butter advert was uh, uh, he, he, making an album is fucking expensive. Yes. And he used the money from his butter advert to make a, to make a punk album. Yeah. And, um, uh, and they said, well, don't you feel a bit weird about selling out? And he goes, well, why would I? I like butter. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, fair enough, he, he likes butter, so country life butter. <laughs> so, um, I, I, and, uh, and when he auditioned to be in the Sex Pistols, his audition piece was I'm 18 by Alice Cooper. And so I've all, and when I was a kid, and uh, he always, like, I couldn't tell the difference between Johnny Rotten in a Public Image Limited music video and Yahoo Serious from the movie uh, <laughs> Young Einstein, right? So I've got like, a lot of affection over the years for uh, John Lydon. He, so 1976 was uh, the height of punk, and then this is four or five years later where he is. Is it his acting debut? Yes, I believe so. Opposite the powerhouse that is Harvey, Harvey Keitel. Now, I'm trying to think of it in the context. I meant to look this up. I forgot to. But growing up, Harvey Keitel was around a lot in the 90s from sort of the piano and things. And you would know him from being in those early Martin Scorsese films. And it would be like, oh, yeah, so it's Harvey Keitel. He's in Mean Streets. He's the pimp in Taxi Driver. Uh, he's Judas in The Last Temptation yeah, of Christ. Yeah, he's Judas in The but Last like, Temptation of Christ. Like, I only watched that recently. That's not ever on my side because no, yeah. Martin Scorsese films and to then, watch. And then it's like, then in the 90s, he's like, oh, it's the guy from The Piano. Reservoir Dogs. He's in ba uh, uh, Bad, uh, Bad Lieutenant, Bad Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. He's back in the 90s and he's doing those, he's in that British movie, uh, Young Americans. Right, yeah. So Danny, he's sort of Danny Cannon. Danny Cannon's Young Americans. Judge, Judge Dredd's, uh, yeah. the good Judge Dredd's Danny Cannon. <laughs> So he's in, so and, he's I still, of, and I still know what you did last summer. And you're sort of aware of him as this sort of actor. You go, oh, of course, Harvey Keitel, and then he's, you know, from Dust Till Dawn, Pulp, Pulp Fiction, Fiction yeah. and he's sort of ubiquitous in the nineties. He's brought back. But then you sort of there is this idea that I've always had, like, where did he go? Well, who was <laughs> where like, did he go? Al Pacino made four or five films in the whole of the of the eighties, <laughs> right? So he was seventies and nineties, but he didn't do much in the eighties, right? Harvey Keitel didn't do much in the 80s. We Except were talking, he kind of did. We were talking about this on the other show, weren't we? Where, like, Robert De Niro was doing kind of like, he was doing cameos and stuff. Yes. But like, he was making movies like Jackknife and uh, and uh, Love Affair or Love Story with Meryl Streep. And it's kind of like some real weirdo, not weirdo movies, but weird movies. And, and then you think of like, and, and straight away, I would say. The I guess you had Christopher Walken. Yeah. Yeah. Was he doing loads in the 80s? Not really. It, yeah, but not really. Biloxi Blues, of, when was he's King in that, New York? isn't he? When was King of New York? 1991, I reckon. Something right, like that. Yeah, sure, right. What's that? So what? So there's this weird, like, oasis type, and this sort of fills in a bit of a gap. And it seems weird to me with this cast, also soundtrack by Ennio Morricone, who creates this sort of country record that 
Harvey Keitel constantly listens to. I, I had to Shazam it. I was like, this song is fucking incredible. And what Shazam it is, it's Morricone going, oh, he's like, like Americans, they listen to like country and western, don't they? So I'll just write a country and western song. Well, because um, because the actual footage is uh, Harvey Keitel walking, like, it's, uh, hang on, it's, the, the score is good. Right? It's good. It's really good, right? And the footage is of uh, Harvey Keitel going over to his record player, getting a record out, putting a record on, sitting down and listening to it. Now, I imagine that Harvey Keitel didn't know what he was meant to be listening to mm. at the time. The fucking song is like, it's brilliant. It's you great. assume it's an existing song and it's not. It's this bonkers fucking country and western song that Ennio Morricone has obviously written for it. So I doubt Harvey, Ke- Harvey Keitel's reaction isn't, I'm listening to this song. He's just sort of like, the director's obviously said, now put a record on, sit down. Don't do anything. Just sit there. And, and then you've got this real upbeat kind of... It's, it's a good song. It's a really good song. Brilliant. I loved it. I, I see it straight away. I had that kind of, what's this? And then you realise, oh, it is just written for the film. Yeah. And it's written by Ennio Morricone. So straight away, you've got this film that... I can't believe this isn't more of a cult film. Well, it's sort of... It's weird, isn't it? Because um, cause, uh, there's elements of Bad Lieutenant to it, right? Yes, very much right. like pre-Bad Lieutenant. But, yes, but there's also... It feels very much like uh, something like New York Ripper. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like an exploitative uh, uh, Italian giallo that's filmed in New York, but they didn't have any permits, Yeah, right? It also feels like... and, and there's Well, like, it also, it is that. Yeah. It's right. exactly that. And you get that straight away. Like within the first 30 seconds of this film starting, I went, oh, it's Italian. Of course it is. Yeah. Of course it is. It's also, uh, it's also like largely set in one very sparse location with yeah. white walls. Yeah. And you cannot help but think about Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Um, um, and, and it's kind of like, yeah, you've got the Harvey Keitel thing, but it's kind of like, I think, it, I think this film must have been kind of fairly influential for a lot of filmmakers. And it, what it is is it's it, it feels like a play. It feels yes, it like does. it feels very sort of like basic and um, I like just up front. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. You say yeah. You say it's basic, it's, but it's almost basic. It's bit, well. I would say it was. It's a very simple idea that yeah. they've gone right. We've got a couple of location days, but really we're going to be filming it in this apartment. Yeah. Uh, and there's like they go to another house at some point. There's a bit of like a. Um, it's like this paranoia kind of thriller that's going on and there's like this murder spree that's going on and you would not given all the information but it's largely filmed in one apartment and it's like we've got this apartment for a fortnight let's make a movie and then there's these extraneous scenes that they've used to like fill it out but it really does feel like you can see the mechanics of how they made it it's like we've got John Lydon and Harvey Keitel for a fortnight let's put them in a, in a flat together and or maybe even a week do you know what I mean and let's knock this film out and and you kind of like, and not all of the acting is good, and it's not all convincing, and not all of the not all of like the um, it feels like a jello, like it does. But uh, within those constraints, and the, it's a little bit ropey in places. It's great. I really enjoyed it. Me too. I think John Lydon, in some ways, you go, this isn't great acting, but what he is doing is doing John Lydon. He's yeah. It's like it's, but it's it, but there's moments when he's crying, and there's yeah. moments when he's scared, and there's moments when he's kind of like, um, what is funny is it's kind of like um, he's being tortured, and he yeah. goes, 
oh, you're going to torture me some more, are you? And it's like, it's so like Johnny Rotten that he's like, he's bored of the fact that he's yeah. being tortured. It's funny. It's like, it's not like a funny film. And but he is being kind of, kind of thrown around and I really like that. And it feels so, like they would be at such like different spectrum of what they're trying to do. What and they're sort capable of, like, of doing. Yeah. Like, what got, like, like he, like, I feel like John Lydon is pushed to the very limits of his acting ability. Yeah. And Harvey Keitel is kind of like, just kind of like insane. He's yes. like he's like doing his like breathing when he breathes through his he get, <laughs> you know, he's breathing through his nose and it's all like all blocked up and adenoiding and it's just sort of like um you know, like at the end of uh, when he, uh, of Reservoir Dogs, when he's uh, cradling uh, Tim Roth, and yes. and it's it's like that intensity for like half of the film. Yeah. Um, so it's and it's this so. Kind so what is the film? So it's the idea is there is a guy who's a cop killer. Some guy has been killing cops in town. You don't know who it is, and uh, uh, Harvey Keitel starts being followed by John Lydon, who, when he's confronted about it, basically says i am the guy who's been killing cops and it's whether um he's then sort of kidnapped by harvey keitel with this idea that is he or isn't he this guy is he he sort of doesn't believe it because he's such this kind of tiny scrawny character yeah. he's like it's not you who's doing it but i want to know why you're saying you are but he's like an attention seeker yeah is, is he a attention seeker but is he making it all up and then and then so harvey keitel keeps him like a prisoner in his apartment while he's going out and being a cop by yeah, the day trying to investigate whether he may or may not be whether to what extent this could it be true and he's a good guy he's a cop and he's trying to sort of like you know solve who's killing all these other cops but then he's slippery slidey slope into yeah. into being like a real bad guy and what follows is a kind of power struggle where and it's sort of reminiscent of something like the servant or something where there is this kind of switching about who has the power in this sort of all the dynamics keep switching about who has the power in this relationship um, it's, it's weird, like so. So I would say that the the limitations of the budget are John Lydon showing up on his uh, outside his apartment door, and that's how Harvey Keitel catches him. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It's like, well, how are we going to introduce him? How about he just knocks on his door and then he now he's a prisoner? Yeah, and it's like, okay, well, you would have. Do you know what I mean? That's like. That felt very kind of like, yes. Um, well, we need to get him into the apartment, so why don't you just knock on the door? There is it. That does felt all like kind very, of make, but that felt very yeah. theatrical and yes. very lim- by, uh, lim- uh, limited by its budget, yes. you know? Uh, but it is sort of plotted well enough that that makes sense. Yeah. They, like Harvey Keitel's not even supposed to have this apartment, it's a secret apartment. Right. Yeah. So the idea that he knows where he lives kind of puts him in this position like, well, you're just going to tell everyone about this apartment that I've got. But they also go from phases of John Lydon being tied up and gagged, yeah. and then him just walking around yeah. and like having coffee with him, and and uh, and that all feels a little bit kind of like they've changed their mind on that day, and then yeah. on, or the handcuff prop went missing, and I don't know. I just feel like that's just the shifting power thing of like there's a bit where he just goes out and does some shopping, and he's like, "What have you done? You, you, you're, you're a prisoner. You're not. You're not supposed to be seen." And he's like, oh, it doesn't matter. It's just like, right. it doesn't matter. Yeah. And, then, and then there they, end up, they end up kind of like being like roommates. Yeah. He's got their real like uh, nothing, a rude word. He's got that sort <laughs> of, he's got the real, but everything he says That's is really in the good. sort of, yeah. it's, it's pure 
Johnny Rotten, every line reading is yeah. pure Johnny Rotten rolling his eyes. Yeah, but and then it really works. But then there's moments where he looks like a scared little boy. Yeah, and it's and like, he's, yeah, it does work. But also because he is being pushed around by Harvey Keitel, but, and you but, think like these two. Did these two hate each other? Yes, exactly. You're watching it and you're kind of like going, I know the character. Yeah, exactly. I know the character is scared. Yeah. But surely when you're acting with Harvey Keitel yeah. and you don't, and you can't act. And he's got a lot, he's, and he's got that thing. That's the thing with John Lydon. He's got this big front, but it's the kind of thing where it's like, he's really sort of tough and he's really like provoking people to do things. But you do get the impression if someone grabs hold of him, he's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> he's got that and it's that sort of the, dynamic to it. Like the character is vulnerable, but yeah. like how much of it is the character and how much of it is actually uh, John Lydon like actually being quite vulnerable on set. And it's this set. thing as well where you see him and he's got like, you see his face and he's like, when it's hit certain light, you go, he's got this quite pimply face and you go, well, he gets, God, he's young as he well. Gets, he gets hit in the face quite early on and he's yeah. got like uh, cuts on his face. Right. And so, but like, yeah. It, it, you, I'm really struck by how young he is in this. And you go, God, well, he must be. You think, yeah, I guess the Sex Pistols, he's probably only like 18 or 19. But there's a bit when he's got uh, his top off. And he's yeah. like this little boy, and then you've got Harvey Keitel strutting around with yeah. his like with his with his pecs and his chest out, and he's like, you know, being like hyper masculine. It's and bizarre. Got, it's sort of incredibly well cast in a funny way. You go, well, who else could do this? But yeah, and it's kind of like it, it's kind of like uh, no acting required to a certain extent. It's kind of like if you want this character to be scared and vulnerable, then then that's that's what we've yeah. that's what we add in the in the room. You know, he hasn't he hasn't had to put that on. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, I did. I just thought it's sort of, it's and it's filmed in quite a it's quite straightforward. It doesn't feel flashy at all. Although it does have that kind of like the flat it's in is is just sort of this beautiful kind of flat that just feels like who could have afforded this even in yeah in the eighties and um but it sort of has that glossy look as well, which neither of them sort of like, like something like a Michael Mann film or something. It's got this sort of quite glossy eighties or like Adrian Lyne or one of those right. like um, uh, like Fatal Attraction or something. It's quite glossy eighties uh, sort little, of look to maybe it. Maybe a little, yeah, maybe a little. But it, well, I mean, it's very sort of minimalistic. You've got yeah. you've got a very white. Um, uh, apartment and it's got these two windows that I think are looking out over Central yeah. Park and Harvey Keitel sits on his couch or sits in his uh, armchair smokes a cigar listens to this cowboy music and the like and the, the the camera's locked off and it's kind of like very sort of like clean crisp yeah. sort of cinematography um yeah, I thought uh, it was like you wanted to. It was, yeah, it was like you're absolutely right. It's a play. It's like a play. The 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 power dynamic just changes and changes and changes, and you don't know like uh, who, um, uh, how, how what everyone's allegiances are, and you don't know uh, whether Harvey Keitel's going to win out or whether. And the twists, you know, it like twists and turns as it goes, and you go, "All oh, right, that's happened," and like, "Oh bloody hell, of course that happened," and yeah. and 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 it's quite really satisfying to see it sort of unfold. Um, and then by the time you get to the end, it's kind of like, "Yeah, great." Um, like as um, uh, I really, I really enjoyed it. I recommend it. You can just watch it for free on YouTube. Yeah, me too. Um, uh, this might be something for a limited audience who might appreciate this reference. I was struck all the way through. Who does John Lydon remind me of? Um, Dan Cook. Oh wow! I thought like, why don't you get why don't you get Dan Cook to be in a 
uh, John Lydon in something. Sure, right. I just thought he's got so much the same kind of mannerisms and just like in his look, he just kind of has that really similar. Yeah, right. And intensity. Yeah. Yes, right. Yeah. Um, I really, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, so we obey. I'd never heard of that film. I'd never no, seen that's it. What I find I'd never weird. Seen I've never seen film. it. Never heard of it. Uh, did, and it's and when you think like and that was it. That's what really sold me on it. It was this thing like, and that's the way. That's probably the way to do it. Because it's like here's a film you've never heard of it. It's called Cop Killer. It's got Harvey Keitel, John Lydon as an Ennio Morricone soundtrack. And you go, yeah, let's watch that. And there was like uh, as we've as we've discussed, uh, there was a desert in the eighties of movies yeah. starring these guys. And um, presumably there wasn't. I was going to look it up because presumably Harvey Keitel was making movies throughout the eighties. Yeah, and then it's just what people. What, what I don't. I, I don't know. Um, um, I, I I'm kind of like I know. I know the. I know the hits. Yeah, but I don't. I don't know his career. Yeah, uh, like the ins and outs of it. But um, but I but I like Harvey Keitel. I've always liked John Lydon. Uh, I love Giallo's. I love Italian movies set in America. Um, I just I love Ennio Morricone. Hit the score was great. The song was great. Um, I'm not saying it's the best. It's not the best film yeah. ever made. But I, I for what it was, I really enjoyed it. Never heard of it. Thank you very much, uh, Newman, Newman Cruz. I quite for, like that song actually. For, if I could get a little recording of it. Well, she's hammed it, and uh, I, I, I'm not. I don't think it was on Spotify, so I don't know where okay, you'd find yeah. it. But yeah, it'll be on YouTube. But yeah, um, yeah. Thanks for the recommendation. We obeyed. And we like it. <laughs> um, yeah, great. So, um, so if you've got any suggestions, um, uh, post on uh, the Instagram, uh, the Instagram tile for yes. this episode. Yes, uh, and uh, and let us know what films uh, we should what, watch next week. What, what film uh, or next time? And I guess it'll be lucky, luck of the draw. Yeah, and we'll keep these on file as well, and we'll probably um, dive into some of the previous ones you've already said but certainly if you can think of films that you think we might not have seen that you think we'd enjoy let us know let us know and uh, and, and and we and we will obey while we we're consuming will, uh, everything else we'll obey one we've got to one, watch everything anyway one movie we've got to watch anything everywhere but like i can never make my mind up when i'm on uh, when i'm on a streaming service we need, some, we need some to be pushed to the top of the pile if you want to write in and get, send us some appreciation mail then you can write in to nick, nick and, and nat jcas at gmail gmail dot com that's n-i-c-k and uh, James, G- that's G- your name. J C A S at symbol, the one that looks like the ear. Or an A with a thing around it. G M A I L dot C O M. C O O M. C O M. C O M, just to be clear. And also, it's N I C K A N D rather than the ampersand. Not ampersand. That doesn't work. N A T. No. And it's a dot C O M, not dot co dot uk yeah and it's point. and it's gmail but i think maybe g-o-o-g-l-e-m-a-i-l might work might work cc and both in before we leave before we leave we're gonna play the, the international internationally famous game what year what year and um, what year let's see if i got this right what year is the game in which i name a series of pop cultural events in which nick helm has to identify what year what year what, that what year well, yes. kind of works uh, yeah, question number one. Mm-hmm. What year was Michael Keaton born? 
What year was Michael Keaton born? Michael Keaton was born in 1944. 1951. Oh, really? Uh, what year was John Lennon shot dead? 1980. Correct. So that's one point. One. Two points if you get either side. Oh, right? fuck it. Yes, well, I've got... Yeah, right, but okay. it's right. You're supposed I'm to try warm, and get I'm it right. Warm, I'm you're supposed up. to try and get it right. I'm not trying to get it deliberately wrong. What year did the sitcom Father Ted begin? 1994. 1995. Two points. Oh, two points. Yes. That's three. Uh, what year did the film Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull come out? 2007. 2008. Two points. Wow. What year did Agatha Christie's character, Hercule Poirot, first appear? Um, I think he first appeared in 1939. 1920. Oh, my God. I've got no idea when Agatha Christie was alive. In what year was George Orwell's 1984 written? 1983. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, 1954. Uh, no, 1948. It was oh, the right. four and the eight. Just I'm, ter- I'm terrible. I'm terrible. What year, was, what year was the BBC's <laughs> adaptation of 1984 starring Peter Cushing shown? Oh, uh, was that the one with John Hurt? No. Peter Cushing, BBC TV. Was it 1984? No. Oh, hang on a minute. Was it... <laughs> can have another guess. But wasn't the movie with John there Hurt? Was a, there was a movie, was was a movie with John, John Hurt. Hurt. And yeah. That, yeah, that's where I've got confused, right? Yeah. So that was 1984, surely. Well, who knows? Well, this is... I'm, I'm asking about the BBC. The Peter Cushing, BBC. Was it 1968? No, 1954. Wow! That's what I just said. For a different answer, yeah, that's I know. not the same. I know, but if I'm one year out and I get two points, if I'm a whole question wrong... Is it like that two runnies episode? Do I get like a million points? <laughs> well, uh, what year did the film adaptation of 1984 with John Hurt come out? 1984. Yes! 1.6. 1984 was a big influence on Terry Gilliam's Brazil, but in what year was it released? 1982 1985 Oh, I almost said 1986, but I thought that was too late. David Bowie's album, Diamond Dogs, was originally envisioned as a musical adaptation of 1984. But in what year was the album released? 1976 1974 Oh my god! That's it! So I have 20 points. You had six. I got six. That's the worst one I've done. I think that is the worst one you've done. You've got to be fucking kidding. Well, it's probably good. I'm out of practice. It's true. You'll get better. You'll get better in season two. In season two. Uh, Well, that just leaves me to say... Have you got anything to add, Brian? No, actually, I was going to come along and I was going to uh, I was going to suggest what movie that you're going to watch next week, but we'll leave that up for the lock of the draw. When people write in, no doubt you'll be inundated with new suggestions. And I, you know what? I'm digging this new format, lads. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Thanks. It was taking us a while to get there, but I think season two is going to be pretty uh, uh, good. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be banging. Uh, when when does season two start again, lads? Well, well again. this comes out at some point in the summer and then August, <laughs> autumn. The fall. The fall. So that just leaves uh, a goodbye from me. Uh, goodbye from me. And I just want to say that 
I appreciate you, Nick. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I appreciate you, Nathaniel Metcalf. Later, Later losers! losers.